Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the new cycle of people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I'm talking pretty fast because I've got a full night of sleep. 30 milligrams of Adderall. <laughs> yeah. I feel fan-fucking-tastic. you don't need it if you said so sleep. good. I do various things at Freethink. Also, you know my body. You know what we do. We are in the building. We're in the streets, Black and we're body. ready to go. We are ready to go. Matt Welch. Oh, my God. Reason Magazine. Oh, yeah. In the building. You're going to lay Very some good drywall train. here a little bit later? Maybe so, if that if that's necessary. This is like yeah. the Whatever Robin Williams is, after an eight ball kind I'm of down. thing. I'm down. I'm a thought. Get yeah. me lit, yeah. as they say. Oh, God. That's that was what, terrible. That, that's a thing. Yeah, no, I know. I it's know fine. I know what the Michael Boyne and Vice News, how you doing? That hoe over there. It, it does, but it actually, <laughs> that, that, that was a shout out to Pop Smoke. Oh, a, he he got popped. says, I'm yeah. a thought, get me lit, which yeah. apparently means he's down for anything. He's down yeah. to do whatever it is. Speaking of which, and, and <laughs> we're being rude to Aaron, uh, but well, who cares? That's because yeah. I haven't introduced him. I know. I was but about to. I just, but like, it's going to escape Did, my Adderall addled brain. You go ahead and introduce no, him. Ignore him for now. how you do that. Uh, no, <laughs> just if you were getting into beef on the subway, Camille, and I was, uh, uh, we were worried about you. Oh, okay, how can you going to explain this, but the first thing, and I don't think this is getting out in front of the story at all <laughs> but how are you like live texting us while you're almost in a fight just pay attention to the fight dude well let me let me uh Aaron Mate is in building yes. with us. <laughs> so delighted to have you back with us host of pushback also a contributor to the nation and uh, our resident expert on what is happening with Bernie Sanders and yeah. that entire faction of the universe and I think will help to enlighten us and instruct us. He's the OFC. Yeah. Our, our favorite comic. Yeah. <laughs> and Aaron, I say I that, I I say that with that. affection. And now I know. Thank you, Michael. Thank yeah. you. He says thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry. So you asked what about this thing that happened. So I sent you guys yeah, a text train. earlier What's today. On? It's not text. Said, it's a WhatsApp. Oh, you're right. But it's still a text. Better security. It's, the, it's the same. So yeah, some guy just starts talking to me as as they do on the train every once in a <laughs> He's while. Talking to you? I saw him as soon as I stepped onto <laughs> the train. He he said something like, "Actually, I texted to, I, yeah, I well, sent I it to you guys. What did it, what did it say, no, Matt? Did you dude on the train killing all you pussies. You don't mean <laughs> shit to me. That is exactly. He right. said that to you? No, he is sitting down. He has his headphones on and he is nodding aggressively. He's mm-hmm. listening to something he really likes. Yeah, and he says, as opposed to raps. Killing all you pussies, or whatever, whatever. I don't give a fuck. I'm killing all you pussies. And it's just like really strange. And he's sitting next to this woman. She looks a little concerned, and there are other people who look concerned. And you know, me, I, I came in. I'm an imposing masculine presence, yeah. and I <laughs> stood there. And I, I yeah. thought to myself, you know, I'm just going to stand here, and I'm going to help to calm this situation. Just to be clear, the text in this part of the comment, <laughs> we keep exchanging glances. Think I might have to fight him. <laughs> <laughs> I love that there was like no other options. Well, it was like, I think I might have to well, no, fight him. He's like, he just are, looks at you. There are options. You are, could be a coward and you could say, I'm, uh, I'm going I'm to leave this are, particular train car. Aren't you the guy who's got like, like trouble? The non aggression principle tattooed on your ass? I do indeed. I do indeed. <laughs> that doesn't Matt, mean. He doesn't like foreign wars. That doesn't mean. <laughs> domestic wars. That doesn't mean with. that I'm unwilling to stand my ground on a subway car in New York City if some dope is acting like a moron. And yes, at some point, we are exchanging glances 
And apparently I unwittingly made some sort of gang hand gesture with my left hand. <laughs> and all I, kn- to I had my headphones in. And he says to me, yo, yo, I'm talking to you. Mm. You bang? Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. I laughed. Like out like, loud. Yeah. Like you, you mean gangbang? Me? Yeah. Like, do I gangbang? Would you look at me, yeah. you idiot? Yeah. Like I have all of my Parisian finery on and yeah. no, Parisian I don't finery. I don't gangbang. <laughs> you moron. Um it does escalate a little bit from there because he continues to do things and what I what I did was just sort of slide weaponry out of my backpack and arm myself, by which I mean I got my keys in my hand. Mm. Oh, yeah. And Between I, your thumb I and took like off my AirPods and oh, put wow. them away and put my glasses away because I figure Watch at some point mm. it's going down and I want to be prepared because I'm definitely not going to lose in a fight to this clown. Now, to be also clear with the, mm-hmm. the string here, at this point, Moynihan, all caps, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, sorry. I might have that said. That read in court one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that goes to me. That, that's a different thing. I so. might have said, cut him. It's, a, it's unclear. Yeah. 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 Well, so, it looks like, I mean, look, I, it was, I wasn't convincing Camille at this point. I might as well just get some. Like, he's already, he's already committed. I mean, he's yeah. like texting us through the whole thing. I'm like, yeah. dude, you taking your AirPods off? It's like, it's like, I thought it was like 1910. He's like taking, like putting up his dukes. You know, no, I, just didn't, I didn't want to lose anything important to Yeah, me. yeah. I didn't want to lose anything important Well, stop to me. texting. It's I definitely didn't right? want to lose the fight. It's, it's cool. But I you wanted, didn't fight I wanted him. it to look like I wasn't particularly concerned about him. Yeah. While I was, in fact, preparing for battle. And I, I just want people to know yeah. that if, if I'm in the streets and you try me, yeah. like, it might be a problem for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not for me. Except if you the try part, me, I will uh, probably run pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> non aggression action, but we we got guns. Put some bechamel sauce in the Moynihan's yeah. face, and it's going to soil himself. <laughs> I, I will also point out that at some point, apparently, according to this text, he says, mm-hmm. "I just got out of prison. I'm not afraid to go back." That is at, at which point Moynihan then counseled yes. a different. Uh, that is actually I guess what I'd he run. said to me. <laughs> that is what he said to me after he said, "Watch your hand movements." And I said, dude, their hands, they move. That's a thing. Mm. And he says, I just got out of prison. I'm not afraid to go back. To which I responded, and I don't really want you to go back, but I'm just riding the train. By the way, when you get out of prison, you really should not want to go back. You shouldn't. <laughs> that point, you should be strange. like, I'm just going to keep on the straight and narrow for a That's little strange. bit. And not get in fights with guys who, who have like some sort of muscle problem in their hands and look like they're throwing <laughs> signs. It's like, God, maybe he just has a little, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad you got out of it. Got out of it. Yeah, I guess well, so. I'm, look, there was I, never any real concern for my safety. I was fine. I'm so glad that he made it out so of there. so confident, by the way. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> the, the moral of the story is that both of you, I'm looking at non errands in this room, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. have rage problems. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't do anything. No, but you thought, like, what, what everyone sees that guy in the subway. Mm-hmm. The guy listening right. to the headphones. That's right. He's singing along. He's, like, not calibrating his things that much. And uh-huh. then occasionally, maybe, like, uh, kind of says something vaguely threatening and weird um kind of wrong-footing people people grab their things and they leave the train car and Mm. that is the problem do not yield any ground to those scumbags (laughs) okay it's my train have you seen falling down yeah uh, i have seen you're gonna like wear some short sleeve button downs and could happen get the baseball back going well just uh, for the record i did almost get in a fight with a delivery man on the way over here it was not (laughs) delivering anything for me but he was uh uh, whipping down the street in one of those electric bikes which you never hear and he had his turn signal on and didn't take the turn almost hit me let's just talk about other things that make us mad what what makes you mad aaron 
Well, that delivery thing freaks me out. <laughs> no, it does, honestly, but it's all scary. But, you know, like, again, for that one, I blame capitalism. Yeah. One more reason about for Bernie Sanders. I don't know why I didn't understand that before. <laughs> this is why we have Aaron on, because I'm like, I think in about four seconds, it's going to go <laughs> towards <laughs> neoliberalism. Is it, is it capitalism or Capit- late capitalism? Can late we, capitalism. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't even use it's that term. Just, but just, late capitalism is just attacking capitalism, but with a little hope in your voice. Exactly. It might end soon. Well, we we are starting a little late here, and in part because Aaron was super late. Um, but yeah, I was also a little late because I stayed home so that I could watch President Trump give oh, these gosh. remarks about the coronavirus because there have been some recent yeah. disputes in the media landscape about whether or not the president was contradicting experts at the CDC who came out. I believe it was on Tuesday. The CDC had a press conference and they gave some remarks. And the specific phrase that they used uh, was something along the lines of, it is not a matter of if or but when we actually have an outbreak here is it an it's an inevitability um and the president on the other side of the planet almost from india i believe in a press conference was asked about this because the stock market has also been tanking a bit recently and uh, he said we've got it under control there's no problem here uh, and some people read that as a contradiction the president and experts from the CDC and I believe HHS were all arrayed there at the White House and gave some remarks. The president rambled through his remarks, mostly talked about how good a job he's doing mm-hmm. and how he is yeah. the reason why everything is fine. And do that at a funeral. And while I was watching yeah. that, I, even I, I got a little uncomfortable, has. like yeah, even yeah. me. Yeah. But then Mike Pence shows up and Mike Pence just starts talking. And it's like, oh, okay, there are grownups involved. And then the <laughs> when experts the, from these other the organizations like, start talking. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the folks at HHS talk and the folks from the CDC talk. And I, I felt I felt a little, I felt felt a little, little better. better. I felt a little better. I feel okay. Although uh, during the press conference, I think the first case in North America was confirmed. Uh, in, uh, in Northern California. Yeah. In San Francisco, uh, yeah. stu- like a, a flight attendant, I think, brought yeah. it. And now people are quarantined in... Uh, in San Francisco. Yeah. So yeah. there's a state of emergency in San yeah. Francisco. I think we I mean, there like has 15, been one for about 15, 15 years. Cases. <laughs> 15 Imagine cases. the escape from San Francisco movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like exactly. 15 cases in the U.S. Um, I don't know that there's anything in particular to, to discuss about the coronavirus yeah. stuff. At some point, well, let's, well, we'll let's wait until it gets here. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll get, we'll get really upset. Like, and well, now it's like an, an Italian village uh-huh. that um, this is the only thing I saw about today. It was like an Italian village. I think it's like central Italy. Uh, or maybe it's Northern Italy, and and they've had a couple of cases there, and they've quarantined the village, and there's like police cars monitoring cars trying trying to come in, and I just saw a video. I don't know what this is about. I literally have no idea what it's about, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's worth mentioning anyway, uh-huh. <laughs> with my lack of knowledge. And there was a video of people fighting inside of an Italian grocery store, because in like in the Corona virus. Oh yeah. A village that is that is being shut down, and there was like a fist fight about coronavirus. Well, yeah, I just people, I, I people know are, that if I watch that, it's going to be pretty great. Yeah, people so I'll are watch that later people tonight. are uh, fighting over supplies. It's it's water, no, it's not like food, the supplies, it's masks. <laughs> it's it's a very serious That's my fusilli. Oh God! <laughs> my what? my one contribution to get it away from fusilli uh, oh, is, is just to note that which I've, I've mentioned before, like. We've managed to go through this entire insane presidency without anything really bad happening. 
Mm-hmm. Like nothing really has gotten totally pear-shaped. I mean, the usual daily horrors yeah, yeah, sure. happen and my God, Yemen and whatever, fine. Mm-hmm. But like there hasn't been an international an crisis. actual, yeah, national emergency I mean, he's responding to. It, and it always happens. There yeah. always is The Iran one. thing came very close. It came very close. But it didn't. But, but then it very didn't. close, yeah. I was uh, so freaked out, but then yeah. it was fine. So, yeah, no, I mean, that was the night when I came in for the last five minutes and I was like wasted. Yeah. Because I, I was, I was like in a skip and I was done. Yeah, but you texted me, you're like, war, world war is about to break out. And I was like, I'm coming right over. Like, I had something to say. But, but we have had other moments like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like the, uh, the, the North Korea situation when there was like serious a, a fleet. The fire and fury. Going yeah, a little yeah, bit. The serious situation, serious certainly. Situation. Then we've That's had some other situations. Even, but even That's the, just it. It all blurs, to, it all runs together. The Syria always felt transparently like I'm lobbing missiles into an empty airbase. Mm-hmm. Like it always felt like that. And, and like, and that's always, really playing with fire though. When you're lobbing of missiles. Of course anywhere, it is. Of course. It's terrifying. But, yeah. but still like, it, like there was never any kind of mobilization for something. Trump hasn't had the stock market go down 2000 points in two days before. Yeah. Right. And he's freaked out by that. We yeah. haven't had a bull market on the stock market. We haven't had an economic expansion this long ever. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. So like, there's bubbles out there and mm-hmm. when the bubbles burst and like, and this all can happen fast. I mean, uh, Katrina under George W. Bush, suddenly yes, everybody's like, my God, this guy is an incompetent boob. They, they even went, Heck I think job there, Brownie. Uh, somewhat overboard in his very incompetent response. I think that's true. Uh, but still it was like all the incompetencies that came before people started like noticing and putting it. Man, all that, together. And, and remember that was pre MAGA Kanye standing next to a, a completely oh baffled Mike Myers mm-hmm. when when he said on like what was a PBS telethon like Some, somebody George Bush about, yeah. uh, hates black people was that what he said George George Bush doesn't care, care about, about black, black people. people yeah yeah, yeah. That, yeah. but that, that, that was that was my, my, that was the, yeah, that was the last thing he said fast. I don't know if you remember the the moments before that where he tried to talk about the looters and how they're not looters they're just trying to get food and it was like uh, this rambling he was yeah. out of breath and he was so nervous anyway yeah. my heart went out to him a little bit in yeah. that moment so you're saying that he's been pretty crazy for a long time um, Kanye isn't crazy he's uh. confident there's <laughs> a <laughs> difference between the two I think Kanye himself acknowledges that he has some issues. So is Courtney well, Love issues isn't the same as too? being yeah. crazy. Um, yeah, and she's also an American icon. But about um, like so to to pivot from Corona to Bernie and well, don't to don't, our, don't pivot to, yet because I actually why? actually Tell have me a quick, about Corona. We want to talk I, about. I, well, I have a brief oh, question gosh. for you guys. No, you One of the criticisms that I've seen about this, though, that I think is worth talking about, is all of these calls for an Ebola czar like Obama had, and a lot of folks are hearkening back to the fact that the Trump administration had gotten rid of certain global oversight offices that had been created to try and monitor for just this kind of situation after what happened with Ebola. Um, Granted, the situations are very different. Ebola, I believe that outbreak began in Kenya. And they just did not have the tools to actually respond mm-hmm. to this sort of thing. And we, we actually s- had to dispatch people there to take care of exactly. it. Exactly. We created the uh, army hospitals yeah, on the This, ground. on the other hand, is inside China. And this that is a hell of a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. China had been obfuscating, continues to obfuscate, so far as I can tell. Um, and the, I guess it's the World Health Organization that is on the ground there that is supposed to be rendering aid as well. Um, but as I understand it, like that's a fairly corrupt organization at a minimum there have been like some pretty significant scandals with respect to like how they're getting funding 
even the, the response from them has been very strange in the sense that they were unwilling to declare it an emergency. China seems to have a tremendous amount of political influence there. And I mention that because the United States gives them money, like we fund them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that in response to every single national emergency of this sort, if the creation of some new czar or some new department or even some new thread of the bureaucracy well, is would, always a good idea. But we would like have a czar. security. I mean, keep in mind that we would have one czar for every confirmed case we have in America. Because there's one person in America that has the coronavirus as we know today. Was the, the first one that had no uh, physical connection. I to, think, to, yeah, right. it, was, it didn't come out. Yeah. didn't come out yeah. of China. So, I mean, about. is it something to, to, to panic about right now? The, uh, the thing, I, I don't know. Per, per, perhaps is, but I mean, I, I do resist the idea of making a czar for, for everything. Um, let, let's wait and see. Because, I, I, I mean, it, 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 it is that, that's the thing that we do. We do so well, mm-hmm. is to show people that we're doing something, whether it's foreign policy, whether it is uh, domestic policy, whether right. it's a health crisis. Let's show people that we care and we're doing something. And that usually creates something like the Department of Homeland Security, which we don't need. Watching uh, uh, MSNBC today, even for like 10 minutes, it's just like, well, he's gutted the department. He got rid of the czar. He hates science and he's incompetent. <laughs> um, and like people just I think sort of, everything there is true. Everything, everything there is <laughs> it's a matter sort of, of not, what does every matter? But, but the question, gutting, gutting the department, gutting, did he gut the department? Do you really know what, you know, what, what was cut and what, what wasn't? I will say that. So I, I want to lead with my ignorance in the issue. And I wish yeah. more people would lead with their own ignorance of like, you don't really know, I know sure, what the staffing yeah. was. Literally last I know nothing. nothing on this. I know nothing. I, However, I have no opinion. Actually, I have no idea what to think. Yeah. However, um, uh, and this could be just, I read a part of a book that I found to be convincing, but in Samantha Powers book, which I, didn't pan, but you know, I was very critical of the single um, most convincing chapter in there about the Obama administration conducting foreign policy well was about Ebola. Mm-hmm. And she went into very granular detail about it. And it wasn't just like, hey, we got a czar and that fixed yeah, everything. I don't, I don't uh, that, yeah. it, was, it was more, you know, we took this trip here. Um, you know, he had a, a, a mortality rate of like 60%. I mean, it's a, it's a, which I mean, is a very different yeah, than 2.6 or, or whatever it is. And the way that she laid out the details was just convincing to me. They did, they did a pretty good job of that there. Um, so look it up, maybe. Um, but I, it's, it's very, very facile, I think, to always just... Look at this. Having said all of that, um, he is pretty incompetent and has a lot of boobs around. Und- undoubtedly. And and, uh, and this, if it goes pear-shaped, could be that thing that is faced with his first crisis. It no longer becomes funny, mm-hmm. uh, just insult comedy and like the weird circus with it. Um, but it also plays into all the media's, I think, uh, worst aspects, which is if you can't cover vaping uh, with any kind yeah. of sense of accuracy think, without yeah. a moral panic. How are you or, supposed to get a government that's, that's pandemic? Or, and, and because of our guest here, uh, or Russia, or the uh, <laughs> recent uh, so-called revelations about how the uh, Russians are wishing for everyone to be president. I don't know who they're not backing at this point. Did you depending see Bloomberg on... at the debate just come out with that right away? By the way, yeah. and, and by the way, Bernie's best moment in that debate was his response to it. Because he responded like a normal human being, and he was like, "Oh my god, it was like amazing." I was like, "There you go, Bernie, I'm on your side for that." Like, but but yeah, I mean that coming out and and how he like sort of wended to it. It was like you know Donald Trump, they want him to be president, but you know they're really supporting you, Bernie. And it's like, can anyone else on stage? 
Because there was a there was a, a thing at the beginning of that debate. It was pile on Mike Bloomberg. And why bother at this point? I mean, it's 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 pointless. I mean, he's slipping in all the polls. You should not be training your fire on Mike Bloomberg at this point. You should be if you're <laughs> trying to defeat Bernie and yourself become the nominee, attack Bernie. Right. That's what you should be doing. Unless so you're they, Elizabeth Warren, who perhaps wants like the VP. This is a VP. One would assume she's going after Bloomberg. Yeah. Is that what that is? It yes, has to 100%, be. Yes. OK. Yeah. Yes. It has to be. And Bloomberg is like the perfect enemy. It's like so yeah. easy for her and sure. everybody else. Yeah. There's so much to hit him for. Absolutely. Opportunity. And he's rich, so it's easy to hate him. Yeah, I mean, like, they hit him in all the wrong ways, but um, there's so Some much. Some of the right ones. Some of the right, Some of the right ones. But I, I think I texted you, or it was maybe both of you then, and I, I was like, they might make me sympathetic to Mike Bloomberg for like one second in my life. And you were like, he's still awful. I'm like, no, 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 that's not in dispute. I think he's like the worst person on that stage. But it's just the quality <laughs> of the attacks on Bloomberg are so are so low. I mean, like, why are you focusing on no American gives a shit about NDAs in an enormous, like, multi-billion dollar corporation? It, it, it seems like a very it's fraudulent It's weird. Attack. And it's also, it's a, it's, a, it's a bananas attack in so many ways because it's like, he did have a fair point when he was like, look, you told me to release them from the NDAs and I did. What do you want now? <laughs> and it's like, I, for me, it's like it's from purely political perspective. It's like, why are you hammering on that if you want to attack him, which I think he's not even worth paying attention to at this point. But why are you hammering on the NDAs? But he's I think the issue is it's it's his fault as well, because he's responding poorly to the attack because there are NDAs did. that involve him. In yes, particular, a few, yeah, and then the rest of the NDAs Which, presumably are about Bloomberg, and this is a massive corporation, massive corporation. that has employed many, 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 many people. Yeah. It is totally unreasonable to demand that the entire company now the stuff about him is everyone totally fair game. from an NDA, yeah. and to the extent he's released folks from all of the ones involving him, I'd say that's but a good also, thing. Like, but I'm not even sure if that's the case. But in either case, that's how you defend yourself against an attack like that. And he hasn't done it. But it's He's also you can't actually point out that the NDA is something that two people agree to. Right. And and usually there's a financial settlement on the other side. Sure. And they're like, it, it makes it sound like these people have just been forced into these signing these things and then kicked out the door. It's like, no, no, there's long negotiations between lawyers and you sign the thing. And whether or not the behavior was good or bad, I mean, I don't know. Because How many NDAs have, have you been forced into? I mean, I you mean, don't want depends. to talk about it. It depends on what you mean by force. <laughs> I'm usually fairly willing because I just don't want the trouble. How how many NDAs has this room seen? I have never signed one. I got Is that one. right? I got one in my belt. I've signed a lot of with NDAs uh, with a former employer. I mean, he's nice not at liberty to say. Talk about yeah. the NDA, and he falls. <laughs> I don't actually always because it's a non-disparagement. It's not even non-disparagement. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Actually, yeah. now that you mentioned that, I have a non-disparagement which yeah. I broke. Uh, yeah. within uh, a year, I think, because the... Uh, <laughs> Who is it with? This is the Digital Entertainment Network. Um, what? Uh, this was a uh, late... You mean Den? Den. <laughs> Den. What the fuck is Den? Den was... Go look Go look up. Like my grandparents. Yeah, yeah, okay. a, uh, Aaron, Den, come on. Den. We were talking Don't about Courtney disparage Love. disparage us. This was, this was uh, uh, a huge moment in my life. Courtney Love took an article I wrote about this where I broke my non-disparagement. Um, and she posted on her website. 
Oh, this is like, really? And this is like, you know. She the, had a website? I kind of. Wow. I mean, it was like a white text on blue kind it's of website. GeoCities? Courtney Love references <laughs> already. Uh, we're gonna, I'm we're gonna like work 20 in a, minutes in. I'll work in a third. But uh, no, it was a place that was supposed to be making original broadband content for Generation Y. Original how, broadband content. Yeah. That's how we called it wow. back then. Uh, and they blew, it was one of the, the great dot-com flameouts, the late 90s and early aughts. <laughs> they blew through like $100 million in, in a uh, year and a half. God. Mark and not Mark Andreessen, he's he's the good one uh, the, one of the guys who started like uh earthlink um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, had founded this because mm. he wanted like hollywood money money like he'd made his internet money but he wanted to like and he literally bought suge knight's uh um uh mansion in beverly hills <laughs> and started having parties <laughs> with 14 year old boys mm-hmm. and then oh, and, like, oh and, no yeah, yeah, yeah. and like uh, and, and who were on the em- sounds like disparagement to me on the employee <laughs> of the uh, company as well who were getting made paid like three hundred thousand dollars a year the it 14 was year old boys oh uh, yeah maybe it's 16 but they started when they were 14 <laughs> <laughs> i love matt like Claire story. It's been a while. 14. The, uh, the, the guy's name is a great name, Mark Collins Rector. Wow. Um, who then went, became an international fugitive. So by the time all this was like, PG Wood has the company, the company <laughs> blew Damn up. You, Collins Rector. I worked there for like seven weeks and got paid more money in that time than I did. Like the three and years before and the five years afterwards, like, she's like, Hey, have all the money. Yeah, and yeah, they wanted yeah. to hire me and I wouldn't do it. And, and like, that's as close as like it came with being Emmanuel at the time because we were poor as shit and I wasn't um, taking the job with all the money. But like it was such an obviously like corrupt and totally fraudulent thing. Started, uh, they also hired this guy who had made his money with that cable in the classroom thing. What was that called? Uh, uh, some uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Channel TV or yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah, um, the Fisher in the room. Uh, he's at the uh, guy named David. I, 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 I to bring my laptop. So I, <laughs> I'd forgotten about I memory hold all of this, but uh, the thing I wrote became kind of notorious and, and flew around uh, the world and uh, helped with my job prospects. So always break your NDAs. Always break your NDAs. Yeah, I don't even. That's Love how we got here. here. NDAs. And, and by the Jeez. way, I would just say this: if you are a woman uh-huh. and you are are being held back by an NDA for a sexual harassment. Uh, reason in 2020, your NDA is no longer valid. Because <laughs> if you come out and say it, no one's going to go after you. And if they do, they're just, it's, they're committing suicide. And maybe yeah. if you're in the state of sure. New York, because New York changed its laws yeah. and it has become pretty aggressive with the uh, Weinstein um, uh, There you r- go, by the way. Uh, Courtney Love reference number three uh, on the red carpet in the, what, mid-2000s? Oh, yeah. The um, advice that you have for people in Hollywood. I mean, way it was like twenty years ago, and said, "Don't go into a hotel room with Harvey Weinstein." Oh, yeah, is that yeah. what she said? Yeah, yeah. Something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah. Harvey Weinstein would like to do a private party in the Four Seasons. Yeah, So if if people don't believe that this was a common knowledge before, I went. I went. Uh, my daughter was watching um, some like fashion kind of uh, like maybe it's like Project Runway or one of these things. And, She's uh, watching Queer Eye this straight guy. Uh, she you? loves it. She's yeah. her favorite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People on the Deep page. Cut. Yeah, I'll I'll play that thing that she said to me on the Patreon. Um, but uh, he, uh, Georgiana Chapman, his ex-wife, is one of the judges, on, and and I believe that. Uh, maybe, am I wrong? And Alyssa Milano is on it too, but I don't know. But uh, she's on the show, and she's like uh, like a, a fashion person. Yes. who all the actresses wore her dresses. Yes, right? and yeah. she's uh, British, and she's quite beautiful. And uh, you know, she divorced him when the first thing came out. When the first thing came, uh, the New York Times, mm. or whoever the, reported it first. Yeah, that's kind of a long time to hang around. And one would imagine that if, if Courtney Love knew about this, she did too. Yeah. So if she's on a television show, I guess, is there no enabling that used to be a thing? 
Did she not enable him? Should she have? I mean, I'm not saying punish these people. I mean, I was saying, I'm when, su- I was surprised when to see the, re- say that. When the revelations first came out, there was there was some commentary along those lines. Like, dude, you knew. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And also, I had to wear your crappy dress, yeah. and, and you knew about it. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know. What, I don't know how we got here. I don't know. It's, that's why people like our show. No, what, what we should do. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I think. Let's I let Aaron... Like have an end zone dance, like the one that doesn't oh. get the fifteen. But he yard... did. He did it one last time. Oh, a second, sure. I mean, second end zone. Dance. He gets that's a second end zone. Second end zone. Like Bernie Sanders is about to run the table. Like that's five right. five days from now, it could be all what over. What does this say that Aaron keeps being right? Should I be a communist? <laughs> <laughs> Join us, Michael. Join us. So he's so he's the man everyone's attacking. He's, right? He is the man everyone's of attacking, course. Aaron. Of what course. Is, what is what, the deal? Did, you, did you think any of those attacks hurt him yesterday, Aaron, as you were watching? That is my analyst. Do, do I think Americans are no, going to care about uh, Fidel Castro and his education policies? I don't. In Florida? In Florida, yes. In Florida. Sure. But, you know, even there, I mean, this could be like rose-colored glasses by my lefty friends, but they're saying that the— Rose emoji glasses. The, <laughs> rose emoji glasses. But <laughs> mm-hmm. they're even saying that the strength of the right-wing Cuban vote is, is inflated. I don't oh, think it's, it's just it's, right-wing. It's, it's massively inflated. But, and but I don't, I don't think it's just right say that for 25 years, too. No. no, but it's also inflated. And, of course, um, we see this in, in, in opinion poll after opinion poll. Of that the allegiances of every generation of, of uh, Cuban Americans in Miami changing mm-hmm. pretty considerably and not being sort of, you know, magnetically drawn to the Republican Party. That's anymore. not the question, though. The yeah. question is about the the Cuba, the comments about Cuba in particular and whether yeah. or not those might hurt him in a region of the country where there is a concentration of people who are acutely aware of. Of one hundred percent egregious crimes one hundred percent it will it will hurt him amongst them. The question I think this is the one that Aaron was addressing, and and I'd be interested to hear his response to this. Is that the question is does it what is it in the hands of Donald Trump when it's the two of them on stage, mm-hmm. and can he like absorb those attacks? And just because Donald Trump is so bad at this stuff, mm. doesn't mean it's not effective. You know. Well, I'm not sure if Trump is bad at it. Yeah, well, yeah, I've, yeah, been, I've yeah, been rewatching sure. some of the primary debates where yeah. he tells Jeb to shut up. He's, he's killing it. <laughs> it's effective. Yeah. He's killing yeah. it. It's effective. I always say you'd be in jail is like one of the funniest things. Oh my I've god, seen. Like, it's, br- it's yeah. brilliant. I mean, that's the thing about these debates. Like, last night, you're if you're watching and you're looking for substance, that is your mistake. It is your first error. That is not really what matters here the goal is to make it through the night (laughs) to not make a complete ass out of yourself and if someone else is punching you really hard to snap back in a way that doesn't make it look like you just got murdered on stage like mike bloomberg for example yeah frequently looked that way anytime elizabeth (laughs) warren got a hold of him he's just bad at this often Yes. Yeah, he's just very bad. He has no charisma. Doesn't seem rich and powerful. Imagine spending a half a billion dollars in three months. It, and and worse, worse. It's, and that's it's what actually the, the grand total spending here is actually more than that because he has been spending money for years and years, as he said, freudiantly, <laughs> buying candidates, exactly. yeah, yeah. getting them into office yeah. so that he could essentially have this favor later. And the favor is. I'm endorsing Mike Bloomberg for president. Let, let's just go on the record. They talked about 40 Democrats. 21 of those were people that I spent $100 million to help elect. <laughs> the, all of the new Democrats that came in and put Nancy Pelosi in charge and gave the Congress the ability to control this president, I, bought, I, I got them. And by the way, it was the most effective of uh, Elizabeth Warren's otherwise kind of feckless attacks was saying that you funded people like you funded Scott Brown. 
against me. That's right. And and like those were actually and Lindsey Graham and Lindsey Graham and those you know and and I guess you know all of those things. Mike Bloomberg says, well, they were right on gun policy. And he doesn't actually say that because he's so bad at debating. And mm-hmm. what he could have said is that my my I'm a single issue guy. I used to be. I, it, you know, you can't say that when you're running for president. Mm-hmm. But I'm a single issue guy. And these people were showing that Republicans could be good on gun control. And so I wanted to, you know, big up these Republicans. You could make an argument like that. It's not very persuasive. But what does he do? And he just changes the subject. And yeah. he says his response to that, I think, was I've been preparing for this job my entire life. And it's like, well, you have a mental illness because somebody who's preparing for this <laughs> job your entire life like who wants to do this job i mean that's the the only thing that i see when i see these people like arrayed on stage i'm like who says like i i, I gotta be president that's you know, the thing that joe always biden me every day for I know. 45 years i know better or work he was born for this oh my god <laughs> yes, so yes. thank god he's gone yeah i love the fact that i was like wait who <laughs> <laughs> oh that guy I, now there is there is one one piece of this though from uh, <clears throat> last night and it's i not sure if was it Elizabeth Warren who made this observation or Amy Klobuchar talking about actually it may not have been any of them. Maybe it was just a David Frum piece that I saw today in the Atlantic. And I think I circulated all that earlier. Um, but <laughs> but talking about the possibility of Bernie being George McGovern and uh, yeah. the possibility of yeah. when this becomes a national election, like the independents and conservatives and whoever helped get Democrats, the majority they're enjoying in the House now, that some of those people who have voted for Trump in the past or just feel uncomfortable with how far left Bernie is, that he may actually get done over in the in the general election. Um, do you have thoughts about that, Aaron? Have you looked at this analysis? And can you dispassionately and objectively <laughs> offer us your analysis? Because as he goes sort of state to state and district to district, it does make one wonder, like, how viable is Bernie nationally, despite what we're seeing in the polls? Because we do have an electoral college. And, and, and it does matter when you do that sort of math and look at the map and what is likely to happen in the House and the Senate. We do have have an electoral college, but at the same time, the last time we had one, Hillary Clinton lost. Mm-hmm. So I think you know the argument that the you have to take a more quote unquote moderate approach is deflated by the result of the last election, where Trump I think even ran to Hillary Clinton's left on certain key issues, on the issues of foreign intervention, trade. Mm-hmm. He yeah. painted himself as being against sure. change wars and trade as well, yeah. which is sure. huge, which is why he won over Michigan and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And Michigan is where uh, Sanders won the primary. In 2016, I think Wisconsin as well, if I have that correctly. But what I also know is like having met a lot of Trump voters because of my coverage of Russiagate, where from the start, I just thought it was such bullshit and so condescending towards voters and anybody with any sense of intelligence. Having met them all, I've met so many people who said that, you know, they voted for Trump as a uh, rebellion against the system, that they Mm -hmm. really saw him as being anti-establishment. And not all of them. A lot of them are sticking by him. But some people feel let down because of the neocons he's appointed, like Bolton and Mike Pompeo. And where they like him is on trade. Mm-hmm. He gets so much uh, love for that. I'm, and I'm not an expert on that issue, so I can't even speak to how like much he's followed through. But I do think that Bernie Sanders, if anybody, has the ability to take those voters back, the ones who went from Obama to Trump, and also maybe for the first time to bring in new voters who never actually vote. I think th- these people, for some reason, always get written off. But what's to stop a, a candidate finally talking about giving people health care and free education from bringing new people in, as opposed to uninspiring candidates like Hillary Clinton talking about nothing, about like 
going to see Hamilton or something. Like yeah, that, I mean, know? it's and I've mentioned this a lot, and it was one particular interaction with the head of a union um, who had a picture of Bernie Sanders on the wall of the union hall. And they were all lining up behind Trump and they named specifically because they were like active union guys. These were not like, oh, we come down and smokes. I mean, everyone was smoking in the union hall. <laughs> they smoke cigarettes and play pool and do nothing. It's like, no, no, they were, they were really engaged. And the thing was, was calling TPP the gold standard. I think that was it. Was yeah, that what you, that's and right. it was like, and that yeah. was like, this is, this is the, the alternative. And our, no, 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 Trump's come to our factory in this case he had, and it tweeted about it. And, you know, we might as well give them a try because the, the other stuff that really repelled people like in New York City and in Washington, D.C. and people in, in, in media, they just didn't care about. I mean, they like actively laughed at me for even daring to mention like the pussy grabbed by the pussy tail. Yeah. They're like, we just don't yeah. give a shit. It's like we really this like we be, we believe that, that the middle class has been hollowed out and nobody's nobody's paid attention to us. And so therefore, you know, we were four square behind Bernie Sanders because nobody in the Democratic Party has ever, ever like waged a, a war the way Bernie Sanders has by by actually using class politics. Mm -hmm. And they they loved it because, I mean, they're union guys. Right. And I mean, union membership has, has shrunk to, to, you know, especially public sector unions to what from highs in the 50s to probably what, like, you know, 10 percent or 12 percent now or something. Um, but, you know, I mean, these people I mean, were the public sector. Stuff. Yeah. Like these people were like, really? So, I mean, Aaron, when you go out and talk to these people, these Trump voters and you've interacted with a lot of them, did it does it change? It did actually do this to me change kind of the general perception or sort of broad perception of people as like, oh God, they're like just the same as the Tea Party kind of troglodytes. Sure. And I just like, I had an enormous, I, every time I talk to them, I end up liking them a lot. Yeah. And they're like, hey, no, we're not that bad. And everyone says the same thing. Every single person, I have this on film, every person says, yeah, we don't like the rhetoric. The tweeting should really, really should cut it down a little bit. And like, they just don't care about it that much, but they feel like they should say that in a lot of ways. But the issues that they talk about are always the same. They're always the same. And I, I, I kind of have some measure of sympathy. And I've been accused quite a bit by our, our um, uh, listeners of being too sympathetic to Bernie Sanders and this thing, but it, it's, it's not, I'm not even being sympathetic. I'm just saying like, I see what works in 2016. I see what people say and what they want to hear. Does that work nationally? We'll see. But you know, people that come out in primaries and the number of people that come into primaries that, that are like really, really kind of hardcore Bernie people and the hardcore Trump people always sound exactly the same to me. I will concede Florida. I mean, if the Castro thing hurts Bernie, okay, you know, that, that makes sense. But first of all, Hillary Clinton lost Florida anyway in 2016, and she's been a hawk on issues like Cuba. So I don't think if Bernie loses Florida again, that's not, you know, that's not breaking into new ground. But in places like Michigan and Wisconsin, the Clinton campaign avoided campaigning there. We know that and we know now why, according to that book Shattered that came out pretty early after Clinton's loss. The Clinton campaign, they even had internal memos saying that the more we campaign there, the worse we do because we're drawing attention to Hillary and Bill's unpopular economic legacy. And so it's best for us just to com completely avoid these states. Bernie Sanders doesn't wow. have that problem because he's saying all the same things that Trump was saying about, you know, trade and helping the working class. I just think actually in this case, well, he means it and he has the means to do it because he's not beholden to billionaires like Donald Trump is. He actually, I think – will even be a stronger, have a stronger, you know, uh, uh, trade agenda and, and worker agenda than Trump has. 
because Trump doesn't really actually care about that stuff. He just recognized that it mattered in those states. There's a uh, uh, an interview on uh, Ari Melber's show of a guy who does uh, debate prep, and he's done it with a bunch of different candidates. And yeah. they asked him, you know, and he's done Bernie in the past. He says, Bernie's the easiest one to do. He mm. says the same thing every time. Yeah, sure. And uh, think about it. So does Donald Trump. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you say the same thing Fake every news. time. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think about this in terms of because I oppose almost all of Bernie Sanders's big ideas. I even like, you know, he wants to legalize marijuana and expunge all records on day one. Like, I would love to see that happen. Don't do it by executive order on yeah, day yeah, one. Yeah, we got exactly. laws on the books. We want to like maybe have a separation of powers here. But uh, so I, I think about it in terms of like what what is the stuff that I am I worried about that he's going to do, what he's not going to do, and what what does it mean when he says this? Like with a sixty minutes interview, which was um, uh, from my perspective, and I'm not the target audience, was a bit of a train wreck, and I'm, I'm not even the Fidel Castro stuff, and is. You all know, I mean, I, I live or tried to live in Cuba. I've spent a lot of time uh, in Cuba and I've been surrounded my entire life with people born in the 1940s talking about the fucking literacy rate. I've had an up to ear. And it, <laughs> and so, but, but also it doesn't matter. Doesn't it like matter. literally doesn't matter. Like of all the issues, <laughs> Donald Trump likes Duterte. Who's who's in power right of now? Course, of course. And it's a bad person. And the Saudis. And the Saudis and a bunch of like. I mean, Bernie's not wrong about this. I, f- I find his answer on that to be maddening. And it like makes my blood boil in a lot of ways. But he is correct when you say, I mean, I think it's the, it's the, the typical whataboutism of that. Like, yeah, well, we're bad at this with the Saudis. But OK, I, I, you're not wrong about that. And it's one thing that, you know, was a very, very hard thing to sustain when you were trying to make the argument that we should not have trade with Cuba, which is something that I've disagreed with from when I first even heard about it when I was 15, probably. <laughs> and it's a stupid policy that is counterproductive. And, you know, of course, gives a bad economy a scapegoat for being a bad economy. Yeah. But, you know, the, the best argument against that is why are you trading with China? Why are you trading with Vietnam, who, you know, two communist countries that have really, really bad human rights records? That's OK, but this isn't. Why is one legacy? Uh, this was just a legacy of the Cold War. Why are we still continuing this? I mean, Donald Trump, maybe picking up a couple of points with some older generation people in Florida for dialing back some of um, Obama's policies in Cuba. But I, I mean, the way we have handled Cuba has been incredibly stupid I have for a, a very long time. I have a new theory. But it that, doesn't mean that Bernie's right about that. I have a new theory obviously. that the Moynihan will like. In I Eric. think Bernie hasn't left enough on Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we bring you in. Is that um, Bernie et al., um, Aaron, even more so, um, tend to be wrong Wronger on the analysis of shitty left-wing places. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And the people who tend to be writer about that are much more wronger about what policy should be in place, right? Okay. So I think Ted – so what I'm saying is that I trust Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio to describe – what has happened, even though both of them, I think, have said they'll never set foot in Cuba. So that's a little bit uh, yeah. difficult. But um, <laughs> but still, they pay some attention to it. And Marco Rubio has a decent staff about foreign policy and, and things like that. Just like gathering it on the fact level. I trust Marco Rubio about Cuba more than I trust Bernie Sanders. On the policy level, it is exactly reversed. We've had Marco Rubio running Cuba policy for 55, 60 years. And yeah. it's been absolutely gobsmackingly terrible. And Trump has been buying into it. Like, yes. I mean, he's he's right. he's the one who has in in his big foreign po- policy speeches saying, you know, oh, we, we're going to there's going to be spheres of influence and we are going to influence Venezuela and Cuba. That is batshit wrong. That is the, that is absolutely the wrong thing. And he's 
He's taken away the good steps that Obama did later in his presidency towards uh, Cuba, rolled all that kind of stuff back. It's terrible. So in, in the scheme of things, my journalistic brain, my sympathetic brain, um, I do get mad uh, about the, you know, the, the, the Hot and Nicole Jones, whatever her name is, uh, like talking about Nicole like Hannah Jones. Uh, no, no. Oh my God, too many, too many hyphens. Just <laughs> stick, just stick to the hyphen. two. So uh, just one. But like you know, <laughs> saying that uh, like uh, but people never talk about uh, how bad Batista was. Like like you're, you're no, it's, make, actually, it's, actually, it's actually you're the making me crazy. It, it, it's, you it's the opposite. I mean, w- when you see, you will find this, particularly when Fidel Castro died, is that the the term dictator. Rightfully precedes Batista always, and it didn't often. President uh, uh, Castro is what you got in in most of the the obituaries, but always like you know he overthrew a dictator. Yes, he did, and that was we. A lot of people were very hopeful in that moment um, because Fidel had not declared his uh, affinities, uh, and you know until about six months later. I mean, he had been hiding this, and uh, Nicole Hannah Jones, uh, you know, repeats this hilarious, stupid old chestnut that has been debunked by anybody who's read a single book about Cuba, that it was American policy that created uh, Fidel Castro, decided he was going to be a, a full-on communist in the, in, the, in, in the middle of 1960, uh, because the Americans were incredibly mean to him. That's not true. And Fidel, Fidel Ameri- Castro, by the way, himself... Although Americans didn't help. Yeah, well, look, Fidel Castro himself, and we don't know if we believe him, sa- says this isn't true, said this wasn't true, said I was a sympathetic, a sympathetic when I was in college. Uh, Raul was, had been a member since he was... He was in his 20s. Um, but, but he also – listen, I got to push back a little bit here because, uh-oh. look, not that we want to get into a big debate about Cuban history. But, yeah, we do. <laughs> no, I don't. That's, I, that's what they pay for. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but I do know that Castro visited here and he was a hero for a little bit and he tried to work with the U.S. As soon as though – and this is a familiar story. As soon as the U.S. saw a third world leader charting its own uh, – uh, charting his country's own path – trying to uh, use the country's small resources for the benefit of the majority instead of the small elite who benefited under the previous system, he became an enemy. And we did see decades since of a basically a, – it's not just bad policies, but a, a terror war, uh, literally assassination plots against Castro, this crippling embargo, a one full-on attempt at invasion by Kennedy, uh, bombing airplanes, killing people. I mean the, the, Cuba has been the subject of a – uh, strangulation campaign, and it's in that context that I think Castro does develop his reliance on the Soviet Union. I don't think he particularly was enamored with the Soviets when he began. Maybe, maybe you know history that I, I don't. Yeah, know. I mean, I think that there's there, there's there's actually surprisingly probably about half of that that I'd agree with is that what you can do, and I mean, we've talked about this with people when we talk about like Pinochet and people who say, um, you know, Pinochet takes over in September of 1973 and the September economy. September 11th, man. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, and, and the economy is crippled and, um, uh, you know, brings it back on the path to robust health. And if you say, okay, I agree with that. The second thing to always say is you don't need to shoot people in a soccer stadium to do that. I don't so, accept the first premise, though. I don't accept it. No, no, but yeah. I, I'm okay. just only making this as a comparison. Okay. And, and I think that one can also say as much as one wants to say that it's it's transparently true about the hideousness of the Castro regime and also say that the Bay of Pigs invasion, which, you know, uh, know, Kennedy effectively inherited too, which he should have abandoned, um, and a number of the other uh, American policies, particularly uh, the embargo, 
Um, which is not, of, of course, I, I mean, I, I can't say of course because Aaron's in the room, but <laughs> is not the, the cause of, uh, of, of Cuba's miseries. I mean, uh, Cuba can trade with everybody else in the world. No, but they has, can't, though. It, it, you can't. It, it, when, it is, when you have the world's largest power 90 miles off your coast, uh, putting you under economic strangulation, it makes it really difficult to engage in normal trade. It's it just true. Now, the Soviet Union propped them up for a while and helped them out. But without that, and this is why after the Soviet Union collapsed, they've been devastated. It's been it's been nonstop suffering. They're not free to trade. They're, they're, they, they, you know, there's there's secondary sanctions. People who trade with you get, you know, the U.S. is doing this now with Iran and Venezuela. But it's not the primary engine of, of their misery. I mean, the former U- Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, to name a stupid place that I spent a lot of time in, um, was under uh, all kinds of terrible trade restrictions because Greece was pissed off that they used Macedonia in their name because Greece is crazy. Um, and they could have, like, shriveled up and died. It, Communism is a bad economic system, and you know uh, uh, Havana was the capital of the Caribbean for 400 years. It's an amazing city. It's absolutely heartbreaking to see it, and the mismanagement of it, and the absolute like desiccation of living standards there. Super heartbreaking, and it is. It, as, is it, is it is as self-inflicted as anything else. I, 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 I just want to say this quickly, it, yeah. quickly, is that is that I don't want to get bugged because this, I mean, because I, I do know a thing or two about this and I could get bugged on a very boring trade debate. <laughs> but for, for our, uh, the interest of our listeners, I was actually agreeing with her in the sense of that I do think it is bad policy. I, I think uh, that's, that's yeah. universally yeah. And that's actually kind of what, what I, why I was bringing it up. In like, the system of government is their business. And let me just say, I'm not an advocate for communism, actually. I'm actually not. I'm actually grateful that I don't live under a communist government. I, I really am. But, Whatever Cubans want to do to me is their business, and it's not our we business. We just don't know what that is. Well, we, uh, C- Castro actually has had a lot of popular support. We don't know that. I think you can, if you look at Cuba over the years you, and the attempts Aaron, to you know, you know that if you were living in a system that the person that was ruling that system was somebody who's ideologically opposite from you. And I was making the case because it had become a one party state that we could try to divine what it, what it, what the support was. You wouldn't be happy about that because the thing is, is that, is that this is, I think ultimately the problem is that the reason I brought up the Pinochet example is that I did, I think there are a lot of people that were on the, Kind of, there were a lot of pro Pinochet people. I mean, think of but yeah. Margaret Thatcher embracing him in, in the later years of his life. I mean, Pinochet was arrested when he was um, visiting Spain. Fidel Castro, I think, was close by and was not arrested. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that that these are these are two kind of equal people in a lot of ways. Castro and, didn't uh, mass murder people in stadiums. Oh dear. Well, we would disagree on that. Lot of stadiums, yeah. but yeah. Well, at La Cabana prison, there was a lot of people that were executed. But let's just let and the details of it, just in the broad strokes of it, because we can get very, very yes. granular about all this stuff. And the broad strokes of it, it is indefensible. You know, you cannot blame the American government. You cannot blame embargo, whatever it is. It is indefensible to have a one-party state in which there are there's a newspaper controlled by the government and controlled by the military, two separate newspapers, and that internet is kind of dripped out very very late after and primarily because we don't want people to be to be um, you know consuming information that we don't have control over and people who do say things whether or not they're crazy or or right or wrong and they should not go to jail for these things. I think this is something that we should all be able to agree on, right? It is indefensible in principle. To me, it's also irrational to try to make a critique of Cuba on 
from a purist point of view when it's been under assault from the world's largest power for what is it? But, but, but I, just even granting you that, I, I love saying, how no, they're saying they're trying to overthrow. They're constantly trying to overthrow its government. government. Let me just let me just ask a people get paranoid in that situation. Let me just ask you a question though. If it, let's pretend that I accept the premise, ladies and gentlemen, dear listeners, I do not. But let's pretend that I accept the premise, right? What damage does it do and, and why is it dangerous for because we see this often that governments do this, particularly when they say we're under the threat of war or we are at war. You see civil liberties. You know, yeah. I mean, you see, uh, you know, Jewish socialists handing out papers in, in Union Square in 1918 and being being 1917 and being arrested for it and giving us the giving us a famous Supreme Court case. This is always used as a, a way of suppressing and limiting speech. What would happen if, again, accepting your premise, if the Cuban government said, let's allow a free trade union, let's allow a newspaper to you know, publish ideas that they think the government's making mistakes, what would be the negative thing that says, since 1959, we're not going to have a free election or independent political parties? How do you justify that? I don't justify it. I couldn't personally probably carry it out, uh, you know, uh, if I was in Cuba, I probably – if I had the choice to be in government or leave, I probably would leave. But if you're under – what I'm concerned about is what my government does. And my government has no right to try to determine what system of government Cuba should be and no right to implement a policy of uh, t- literal terrorism I and mean, bl- blowing up airplanes, uh, passenger jets, uh, uh, having assassination plots against Castro. I mean all this stuff, including a, a Bay of Pigs invasion, it makes – Governments, especially tiny governments in third world countries, you know, on an island, it makes them paranoid. And in, in that environment, you always see repression. It's same thing with Iran. You know, uh, in the brief period of after the Iran nuclear deal, you talk to people from Iran. There, obviously, it didn't become a a free democracy overnight, but there was a bit. There was hope, and there was an opening up. Trump comes in, reimposes the murderous sanctions, and things get repressive again. It's like that's not all Trump's fault, but it's like these are – there is a causal relationship there. So, you know, I'm not defending it, but I'm also saying it's like these things happen in a context. Is, the, not, is the Cuban government a, a dictatorship? I would call it – because I I think it has it has a lot of popular support, I would call it an authoritarian But you're, assu- you're assuming that it does. You don't know that for a fact. I've never been there. Uh, but, but you've never but, been to, uh, you know, sort of Wisconsin and you can cite poll numbers, for that, I, can't you? I've never been, but I've, I've spoken to a lot of Cubans, including people who have their criticisms of the government. And it's my sense. And just from what I read, I don't think that government could have survived solely on force and coercion. I think they actually, there's a lot of pride in, uh, in the Cuban revolution, having uh, freed themselves from Batista raising literacy rates and giving health care to everybody. I mean, there were genuine improvements in society. A lot of people also, I mean, look, people lost their land. They were repressed. Of course, there's people who hate the, I know there's a huge number, same as in Venezuela, who hate the socialist government, of course. But I, uh, it's my sense that there's, you know, and the same thing with Venezuela, there's a lot of people whose voices have been silenced because they don't uh, fit with a convenient narrative we want to believe about Cuba. Do you think I there's will, a meaningful will, distinction between those those two things in a practical sense between an authoritarian state and a dictatorship? Well, certainly in Cuba right now, I think there's been a lot more of an opening than there has been before. Mm-hmm. They have. I, uh, you know, but and certainly there were terrible times in Cuba where especially gay people were uh, imprisoned mm-hmm. and maybe even executed. 
so there have been terrible moments where, I mean, yeah, sure. I think there are times I, you know, I, if someone had used the word dictatorship, I wouldn't have raised a big stink over. But especially now you have a government that has popular support and it does not operate like a dictatorship like Nazi Germany or, say, Saudi Arabia. You know, I, I, I do think that there are grades and different levels of authoritarianism and when it comes to so, something qualifying as a dictatorship. Nazism is a very high bar. It is a very high <laughs> bar. No, it is. I would, I would point that. out that there still is on, on every single block, uh, co- uh, Committee for the Defense the of the Revolution, yeah. uh, every single one. That's It's a neighborhood watch with the power of a surveillance state behind it, um, which is pretty chilling. I want to uh, register agreement with you, Aaron, in, in that – you are right, I believe, in saying that the government couldn't have survived as long in this form if it didn't have some degree of popular support. Um, I think that measuring that degree of popular support is, of course, impossible. Um, and also, um, even when I was first there in 1998, um, you, you know, the only person watching the seven hour speech at night was grandma, not the newspaper, but actual grandma um, <laughs> there. The boat. Uh, and everybody else would watch it with the sound off and laugh their asses off because mm. he looked like a clown. Mm. Uh, the, the generational divide among people. And the reason why I agree with you about that uh, popular support, there's such a big difference between a revolution that is regardless of, of its own corruptions and problems, but that is homegrown yeah. than a revolution that is imposed. Mm. The countries of Central Europe where I'd lived, uh, in the 90s, uh, most of those revolutions were imposed um, or were fomented in some way by the Soviet Union. And so there wasn't a sense of, you know, the Czechs didn't have a sense of pride and ownership of what happened there in 1948 uh, and uh, Hungarians likewise. And so when that was over, they felt it much more like an occupation. Cubans are a nationalist, bunch of mofos. Um, and even if there's a magic Moynihan wand <laughs> waved and we had free trade unions, free press, free elections, free everything. And, and also America stopped its idiotic controls over not just like what Cuba could do, but what Americans could do. Can we travel there freely yes, or not? Can we give money there freely or it's, not? It's outrageous. Uh, and and talk about state intervention in the economy. That's what we're doing. That is, it, it, it totally true. is. Right, I've, 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 I've written about this extensively. Uh, it's, it's idiotic. So if, but if you waved all that magic wand, there would still be, I, I believe, and even if they if they chose a system, which I don't think that would happen overnight, um, that was more uh, in line to how I think a government uh, is more optimally organized, let's say, um, there would be a lot of nationalist backlash against uh, Miami running Havana. They're like, they don't don't you do that? Because there's this, there is a sense, a strong sense of national pride. Yeah, because because I I, I try to be ecumenical and, and allow. Um, uh, uh, Reds and Leninists like uh, uh, <laughs> like Aaron to come in and and spout uh, this nonsense. I'm kidding. Her. Um, is I, that I, I, I try how, I, how frequently Moynihan talks about how magnanimous he is. Yeah, it's really. But, you know, when I say that, it means I'm not right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so well, no, I, that, that's really. that's to preface yeah. something that yeah. I um, that I want to agree with Aaron on. It's a very small point, but it. Um, w- w- 
and again, back to the sort of Pinochet point, because there are a lot of people that, that you can look in the past that defended the actions of the regime because of the economic results. Yep. I think that's disgusting. And I don't think that should in, in, in another way. Do the same thing with China. Well, it's the same thing with China, too. But in another Bern, way. Bernie Sanders that, has done that with China. No, no, no. That's no, no. unfair. Yeah, yes. Wait, we'll get to that yes, one. Yes. Yes. Bloomberg did it with China. Well, yes, he did. Bloomberg, Bloomberg has also done it with yeah. China. That is one thing that they have in common. Let me we'll, we'll get to that in, 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 in two seconds. But I think that on the anti-Castro narrative, there's also a, a tendency to buy the whole thing and defend whatever it is. It's like, you know, just, you know, it's, it's tribalism, right? Is defending the fact that Orlando Bosch lived in America is indefensible. And it was a man who was credibly accused, um, and by credibly, I mean guilty of, blowing up an airliner yep. in an act of terrorism. That is the most foul and heinous thing that one could possibly imagine of blowing up civilians because you didn't like the government that took over in 1959. So that I, I, I totally agree on. The one thing that you actually mentioned Nazi Germany, I'll take another, a, a little kind of sliver of that and say that there's a, a number of books judging how people behaved during um, the Second World War, particularly on the Eastern Front, who were not members of an organization like the Einsatzgruppen or the SS or something. And a guy named Christopher Browning, we've talked about this book in the past called Ordinary Men. And one of the things about that book is finding people who came of age and had a political education, particularly in the 20s, in the Weimar period. It is because that's how these guys and social scientists filter out, say, what is the behavior that it is separate from propaganda? You cannot blame it on propagandizing. So when it comes to talking about Cuban support, we don't know what that is, right? Could be, and I think to Matt's point that there is, you know, we know this actually for a fact from, from a lot of good journalism in like 1960 was that the anti-Yankee stuff was quite popular because the Yankees since 1898 and the, the Platt Amendment and things like that were had a pretty heavy hand in Cuba, right? And not just Cuba, everywhere else. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. But particularly in, in, in this case. Um, so that anti-Yankee stuff is is buoying them and it's, it's, it's making them successful and everything. But to that comparison to the Browning thing, it's hard to tell now, and particularly a generation that had no internet, which is kind of trickling in now, and you have the packet that you can get, you know, this packet where yeah. you get m movies and films and the rest of it, is that when you had a single newspaper, when you had a single um, um uh, television channel, when you had, you know, an education system that was was banging on about one particular ideology and none, no other, is that I imagine that it's kind of hard to, to judge uh, popularity when people are in a system like that. I don't doubt that when, and I'm not saying these are completely analogous uh, regimes, but I do not doubt that there is a real feeling of sorrow when when Kim Jong-il dies. I don't think that's all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's real. But I don't think it means anything, particularly when you live in a, a country that's hermetically sealed from the world and only gives you one sort of narrative all the time. You cannot avoid, you know, taking some of it in and it kind of just by osmosis becomes part of your... your th I mean, you think the man was, you know, born by a unicorn on a mountain or something. So I think that we have to remember that also about Cuba, that, that it will be interesting to see as... As generations change and as the internet becomes something that's more more uh, accessible to people, and we know that's actually uh, true uh, now. And, and also, like I, the, the three people that I know and can name and friendly with 
um, and can send emails to and WhatsApp messages to who have been arrested and spent time in Cuban jails. Uh, two men and one woman are all consider themselves social Democrats, by the way. They're all sort of left of center people that are uh, oppose the regime and oppose the one party state and want something I would probably say more akin to what Bernie wants, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Well, and taking it back to that, that's where I don't think Bernie is actually vulnerable, because if he if Trump tries to bring it up, he'll just say, yeah, I don't like Castro. I know, I've never supported him. I was pointing out a couple of good things about their their program. Uh, just as Obama did. So I don't think Bernie is even as vulnerable there electorally and politically as it's made out to be. And he'll pivot to what he's been saying that I, the, the social, the, the socialism I'm talking about is Denmark, you know, which everybody can get behind. You can't stick, you can't demonize Denmark. But this is the thing about Bernie that I find, you know, but this is the thing I find very difficult about this. And again, I'm, this is somebody who's been criticized fairly recently for not being tough enough on, on, on Bernie. And I think that as he gets closer to to the nomination, I I feel myself wanting to be tougher on him for a lot of reasons. Yeah, this is all your fault. No. Yeah. I mean, but, but I, but I, I will say this is that Bernie can be on stage, uh, two nights ago and refer to Bibi Netanyahu as a right-wing racist, blah, blah, blah. And that's very, very harsh words for him. And it's, you know, you can debate whether or not that's true, if it's an overstatement or an understatement. Uh, you don't hear similar words uh, when it comes to Castro, because I've watched everything that he's ever said about this, because I wrote a piece about it a long time ago. I, I love and all I the people that, who like, are, by the way, find the clips that you they, they, Yeah, they, yeah they're all like like putting their watermarks on but things. They're I don't, I don't morally, know. But, they're, but they're not morally equivalent. You know, I mean, like... That's everyone's judgment to make. Castro never occupied an entire people and subjected them to starvation and uh, besiegement and r- regular attacks as Netanyahu has the people of Gaza because they were Arab and, and – um, and but now he was under under uh, investigation by by the courts in Israel, but, and might be. He might be. To, that's true. Castro never had that. Did that he? Uh, that's true. That's true. But you you know they're in different systems. Like I'm saying is, you know, they're not. I don't see how you can make a comparison between Netanyahu and and uh, Castro. Now, by the way, he did call Castro a dictator. He did say he did even use a word that I wouldn't use. So I don't think he's even <laughs> soft on Castro. I mean, yeah. like he's throwing you. You a are. He's no, I, I, I am. I, I am. I have a lot of sympathy for a, a, a third world leader resisting the world's top nuclear, pa- uh, the world's top power 90 miles away trying to kill him. Do we there, st- do there we still, so many I, I don't do we still use third world? I don't know. I'm not Global sure. Global South, that, sorry. Okay. He, won't, yeah. he, won't yeah. Yeah. he won't get in trouble here. I'm, I'm immune on that one. We're going to talk yeah. to we're gonna have Aaron about wokeness later. <laughs> and then we're going to all like hold hands. It's going to be great. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. so they're not and you know, and meanwhile, listen, we can get into this, but Castro actually did a lot of good in the world. Cuba helped yeah. defeat apartheid. That's just true. With the with with the woke interventions in Angola. Well, I, I will say I will say that that that, that Israel has has um, uh, when we're talking about Israel has a has a shameful record on on um, supplying weapons and yeah. sucker to the apartheid regime, which is uh, forever uh, something that they should be blemished with. But um, look, I mean, you can say about uh, other people meddling in affairs. We can talk about Cubans meddling in the affairs of a lot of countries, and that is countries in South America, that is countries in Central America, that is countries in Africa too, whether or not you think the cause, particularly in Angola or South, South Africa, is justified, there is a kind of there global is. vision of that. Angola, right? it's an imperialist I'm kind of thing. Well, Angola, I think it's complicated. I think that they, it, it, the more they relied on the Soviet Union, they had to kind of go along with what the Soviets wanted in some places in Africa, even when they weren't always down. 
Angola. I'm Aaron, t- you have a lot of latitude for the Cubans. <laughs> Angola, <laughs> Not so but, but much for true. DC. Yeah. Angola, but, but, but again, you know, the, to me, it's to me, it's a global South, poor island country under siege by a government that wants to literally assassinate Castro. I mean, how many times the CIA try to assassinate Castro? There's a whole movie about it. It's you know, so I just view them in a different context. Whereas Netanyahu is a head of an occupying state that has occupied. Um, a large chunk of land in defiance of international law for more than five decades now. So I, it's just, you know, now not, not, all, not all of that history is, is <laughs> Netanyahu's fault, but he's been a big part of it. So the equation there. I, the, I, the, I, there the are context, so many interesting questions here, and, yeah. and we could go we could. very far down this rabbit hole. I do have a question, though, perhaps for the room broadly, because uh, the word hasn't come up. But, Aaron, when I, when I hear you talk, firstly, you've said something about being concerned about what's happening here at home and being most critical of your own government, perhaps. I, and I don't want to put words in your yes, mouth. No, for sure. Um, but Aaron, I, I being, do, being internationalist, I do, I do think there's something to be, <laughs> I do think there's something to be said for that. Um, but I also think about this question of legitimacy with respect to governments, all governments, quite frankly. And Matt, you talked about like a homegrown revolution versus an imported revolution. And in some respect, to the extent you have a revolution take place, and you install a government, let's call it an authoritarian government and not a dictatorship, someone is obviously being trampled underfoot. And it's generally the minorities in those countries that end up being brutalized and in some cases murdered systematically in order for the rulers to maintain control. And that is true no matter how much popular support they have. If it's 99%, then there is 1% of the population that is living in fear, that is unable to express themselves, and that is being murdered. Um, To to the extent that is happening at all, um, what can we say broadly about just the legitimacy of those states? Because my, my own assessment is a government that is systematically violating people's civil liberties is not a legitimate state. But by that standard, no state is legitimate. And actually, no. and actually, I don't think... Actually, <laughs> <laughs> Wrong guy to say that to who agrees with you. Well, yeah. Thank I mean, you. You know, but, um, look, I mean, and, we, and we maybe, were founded here on genocide of the indigenous population. So uh, how then are we... Who there are we is then? a great deal of injustice in the world. And, and, yeah. I, and I would probably, I'd probably focus on, you know, within my lifetime, let's create some arbitrary benchmarks. And maybe that maybe that's all it is. Maybe it is arbitrary rules because I can I can accept that there are certain well actually no, I don't accept any of that. But I'm certainly more aggrieved by the existence of China, let's say, than I am by the existence of the United States. Like, to the extent there is this thing, like this body of rights that we refer to as human rights. The United States seems to stand on the right side of the ledger with respect to the protect, protection and advancement of those rights, generally speaking. Within its own borders, yes. Certainly within its own borders. Within its own borders, but then and, and outside it's, of its, it's you borders. It's a moral arc bending towards freedom. It certainly can't be said that it was always historically there, but there's something about the place and we're, we're doing that thing. China, on the other hand, has a very different set of values and is an authoritarian dictatorship. One thing I've seen a number of times, though, is this sort of phraseology about giving China credit or acknowledging the progress that China has made. And we sort of had a similar conversation about Cuba. And that 
has always bothered me because for the most part, to the extent these countries have liberalized in some sort of small way and actually give people a degree of freedom that allows them to say trade or own things without them getting the permission of the state, it's not an achievement. They have the right to do that thing. And you're not, if you give them credit for that, that is an error. And that is the thing that I've heard Bernie Sanders do and that I've okay, heard. Let, let, let me disagree for Aaron disagrees uh, because I think, <laughs> I, think, I think Bernie's getting a bad rap for that. It, it, that's portrayed in the same uh, light of him saying, oh, you know, Castro literacy went up. Uh, it's a pretty good thing. Um, uh, he, I, Bernie doesn't like China. It's clear. I mean, I'm, like I'm, I'm his, on his opposition to trade agreements is really about China as much as it is uh, as much as Donald Trump's is as well. I think what he's saying is something that's similar to what I say, just that he has the exact opposite and I think wrong um, uh, approach towards it, which is that, you know, one of the, one of the greatest things that's happened in the last 30 years is that a billion people have been lifted out of extreme poverty over uh, the, over the globe. And the majority of those people come from China and India. Right. I don't say that. He's, his words I'm are not high-fiving China. They've made extraordinary progress, that no one has more, made more progress in terms of I think, eliminating I think, poverty I in China. Think, and I think that is an absurd, ridiculous, I and actually think, dishonest way to phrase that. I think then, and this is, I'm the literalist in the room usually, but I think you're nitpicking language here. That's not nitpicking. I it think is it just is. true. I, th- I think it is. Uh, by they've. Okay, what does that mean? Is he saying that the government has made this accomplishment? That's what you're hearing. What, what he said. They've can, can uh, you know, Americans, they've done great with the rock and roll. That wasn't the Eisenhower administration. <laughs> Matt, Matt and I usually take uh, the two on one approach of beating up on Camille. Um, this is going to happen in a different way now. I'm going to agree with Camille on this. Um, <laughs> because I, I remember I interviewed uh, Lech Valenza, the uh, Nobel Prize winning wow, head of the. going to fucking Solidarność. Sol- Solidarność, uh, right. uh, trade unionist uh, from uh, Poland. Who, by the way, is uh, is Bernie Sanders because he was like oh old, the whole God, time yes. he was like robots taking over, killing all the union jobs, and I was like what? serious <laughs> conspiracy theorist. He was, he was yeah. so angry about the celebration of um, Gorbachev, and the reason he did, and I remember the translator saying it this way, and I was, looked at her with like a, like a, an arched eyebrow. She's like, she's like, he says you don't get the prize for not raping, and I was like, what now? And he's like, and then he, she he explained like. You know, no, you're not supposed to shoot people when they go onto the streets in 1989 to demand their freedom and don't give somebody a prize for not shooting them. It's like, you know, the Chris Rock joke of like, I take care of my kids. And he's like, no, you're supposed to take care of your fucking kids. <laughs> like, you don't get, a, you don't get a, a, a prize for that. And like, you know, all of these things that in a, in a regime, in a government that was left wing, right wing, whatever it might be, but had, you know, basic civil liberties in which the government wasn't encroaching on individual, individual freedoms that way, I tend not to give people a lot of credit for either. I mean, you can make in a dictatorship a lot of things happen. You can make 100% of the people do X, Y, or Z under duress or I'm not saying this is the case of Cuba, but the, the Cuba literacy thing, I think, is an incredible scam for a number of reasons. And the, number of, the, the first one is that what is the point of being literate if you can't read what you want to read? I don't want to be literate if I can't get George Orwell if I want to down at the library. Those things are two things that go hand in hand. They also number went one, from fourth 
place to second place. It's yeah, not well, a that's, that, that is the second thing that nobody has pointed out. And, and you know, nobody has pointed this out. Of these Matt, small, small achievements uh, is that uh, Cuba's literacy rate was fairly high regionally. Uh, it was a good starting point, right? It was not 98%, which is the numbers that we're getting from the government. We're trusting them on them. We don't have independent rapporteurs that go in and find this stuff out. Was, you know, 80%, 78%, something like that. The numbers are different. There's a Ginsburg atlas that I saw in 1958 said that they had a higher literacy rate than Spain. And this is prior to Castro coming, coming to power. I mean, so, this, been to Spain, so. Yeah, I know. I mean, nobody's surprised about that. I mean, still currently, the oh, same yeah, so literacy rate in higher. Spain. Um, our Spanish listeners, if we have any, we love you. We're joking. Um, but, but, but Portugal's not a country. Go but, on. But, you know, this, this stuff is that uh, you can make a lot of things happen. You know, you can eliminate crime, right? By doing this, you know, you can, Mike Bloomberg could have penalty for everything. But Mike Bloomberg could have stopped and frisked everybody. And we could be like, oh, you know, he really changed New York. By <laughs> he just put everybody in jail. And, and actually the policy would have been totally fine since the principal objection to stop and frisk nationwide is that it's racist. That's hmm. n- that is God the principal objection to stop and frisk the objection in all that, of the debates. The ob- stop and frisk isn't a violation of civil liberties. It's a violation of black people's rights. The fact that they were stopping and frisking white folks as well and that they weren't finding guns. Let me either. interrupt this Camille rant to point out. Overlooked. Oh, no. Aaron, you can get a cup of coffee now if you want. Yeah. You want to walk out and get a- Just quickly, like the, the principal objection that mattered wasn't Mike Bloomberg's conscience. I made it stop 90% when I woke up. It was a court case. That court case was about civil liberties. Mention race too in the ruling, but it's fine. Yeah, but that was like one of just two. It's as bad you guys whispered. It's a trick. Uh, I want to kick it back to Aaron. We haven't mentioned. I did ask a question. We didn't get that. We will do that in a moment. But Aaron... Aaron's got a lot to chew on at the the Cuban history section, because I do want to talk about domestic policy as well, if we can. Please. Um, So (laughs) that's when Camille yelled at you. I asked a question about legitimacy. I acknowledge that there is a bit of of, uh, subjectivity there that I am make. I'm drawing some arbitrary lines for my own rules. But I I wonder how you think about it, because it sounds like part of what you're suggesting is that if there is sufficient support for a particular regime, then the government is legitimate. Even more basic than that. Okay. I think that we judge every country within their own trajectory and not try to impose standards and a timeline that doesn't apply to them. Because, you know, by the standard that I think you guys are espousing, we have to dismiss all the achievements in the U.S. because what preceded it was slavery and 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 uh, indigenous genocide. And still today we have massive rates of incarceration and all other different forms of oppression. So like, I think every country proceeds on its own pace and the, the best thing we can do is stay out of their business. And by the way, it's true that there's been, and we're free to debate those in this podcast. And there's been, and and there's been uh, obviously far less uh, internal repression here in the U S than there has been in China. But at the same time, we've committed far worse atrocities abroad and around the world than China has over the last uh, 50 years or so. Now, that doesn't mean I think that we're any less legitimate state, but it's like insofar as every human being around the world is equal, if we're judging a state, we take those people into account too. And the U.S. has been responsible for an unspeakable mass murder from Vietnam to all the death squads that supported in Central America to the two Iraq wars. I mean, so I don't understand what gives us the right to judge a place like China. We can criticize individual policies, but then to dismiss the achievements that they do make within their own context, 
I don't think we have the right to do it. I, I, don't, I just don't see what 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 ground we stand on. Well, the, I'm, I'm personally well, historians happier. Historians then don't have any ground to write about any of this stuff. Then, no. They? If they're American and they don't, you know, at the same time criticize the things that America's done wrong over the past hundred years. I mean, China has killed a hundred million of its own people. I suppose it wasn't global, but um, they, they have. I mean, they, that's a lot. I do hate that phrase, yeah. its own people, because yeah. they don't belong to them. But I, <laughs> It always comes wow. back to like your an, anarcho-syndicalism or whatever. I'm, because it's, because it's morally virtuous and right and yeah. obviously good. But also to your point too, is that, you know, it depends of course on your own personal worldview and how you, how you view, you know, the policies and the ideology of a particular country, because you do understand that you're making the argument about Cuba that Israel makes about itself. Israel will make a stuff like, well, you're not looking at our historical uh, circumstances, 1967, the invasion, and and then 1973, this happened, but, and the Intifada, but, but and then the Lebanon War. So I'm, look, I'm not defending this. I am yeah. just saying, Aaron, that this is precisely what every country does when they justify their own repression. They say it's external factors that have pushed them to this. In the case of Israel, the uh, Israel, to whatever, th- whatever threats to Israel existed, was the result of, of Israel deliberately stoking them. Is, you know, we can get into 1967. Oh, no, uh, it's not. That's a different box set. I, at that I think point. that's yeah. a case for, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, my short history of Israel is that it is their, uh, their uh, stated and deliberate policy of territorial expansion and regional domination that has brought on whatever security threats that they face. And but you see that you see but, but beyond like Israel, like the specific policy, you see the comparison I'm making that, that this is a very common argument. You will admit. That, sure it that is. Of course. Say, yeah. of course. Okay. Everyone justifies their, their repression and their problems and dysfunctions for, uh, for, you know, has their way of doing it and they blame other people for it. Yes. I think uh, that my benchmark is universal. this, and it's a one sentence is that, is that if the repressions that come from your own government, you should be able to talk about, debate, attack the government on, mm-hmm. and feel free not to go, not look over your shoulder or go to jail because of it. Well, uh, it's interestingly, yes. here in the United States, it's become very popular to refer to our country as a tyrannical <laughs> dictatorship, monarchy, and all sorts of other terrible things. Interestingly, most people make these kinds of observations either on the street, mm. yelling at the president, or on Twitter. And none of them are going to prison, exactly which suggests right. that most of them are fucking wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I agree with that. There's, I would agree with that. There is that. My one sentence, please, uh, oh. in, in all of this is just that when you use the we, maybe it's similar to how Bernie uses the they, and, and we'll all disagree about that mm-hmm. until Kingdom Kong, but like... Um, I don't take we as the actions of the American government. I do take your point about we criticize our own government first because that's the one thing that we have more uh, access to or influence on. However, my we um, is actually myself. And if I'm looking and judging uh, other countries, I don't need the baggage of all of American foreign policy on my shoulders. I don't need to have to throat clear about the Monroe Doctrine for 5,000 words before I can conclude that Daniel Ortega is a fuck up. But I need that baggage if my government was involved in trying to destroy that country as the U.S. was in Nicaragua. It's it's part of the context for sure, mm. but it doesn't dull whatever judgment I make in that case. Is what and a I'm quick saying. question is is that if if and, and I take your point. I mean, I've been hearing it uh, since I kind of found out about Nicaragua, probably when I was a wee one. 
But um, do, you, do, you, do you have the same opinion about the Soviet Union's intervention in Nicaragua supporting the Sandinista revolution against Somoza and the Cubans ultimately as a kind of proxy of the Soviets also intervening there? Do you, do you say that they shouldn't have been there either? I think uh, Nicaragua had no choice. I don't think that they, from what I know about the Sandinistas, they had no particular affinity for the Soviet Union. But after the terror war that was launched by Reagan, trying to reinstall basically the, the remnants of the Somoza regime, I don't judge a country's decisions in that context to then welcome help from the Soviet Union. And I don't think, I don't see them as this outpost of of the Soviet Union that that, they, that Reagan said they were. And that this, you know, Reagan said that the, that, that the Sandinistas were just a couple of days drive from Texas as if they were going to invade the U.S., which was a joke. And it gives a window into, into the kind of propaganda that was used to justify what really was a terror war against a government that was trying to, for the first time in a long time in its history, after decades of dictatorship, to use its resources for its own people. And so, you know, do I, uh, do you know, it, do I think that the Soviet Union's uh, intervention there was intended because they support, you know, freedom and and uh, no, they were using it because they wanted to help up. A country that was under siege by the U.S. and that was a part of the Cold War. But in terms of Nicaragua's right to defend itself and make its own choices as to who it allies with to do so, I, I don't question that. I don't. So yeah. this is the thing is that um, I need to get an approval from Aaron here and to ask him something for approval. Because we had an, <laughs> an example of something that went a bit pear-shaped on, on Twitter because we talked about somebody when they weren't there. That's fine. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, cool. Sure, Are yeah. we good? Because I think that, like, that's, a long, that's a long debate, and we got yeah. a lot more to cover. Yeah, go, yeah, go for and it, then yeah. if we talk on the Patreon episode, if I talk about that in particular, and Aaron's not here, are you okay with Aaron? Totally fine. I'll send you a link. That's totally cool. Totally cool. Totally cool. Totally cool. Before, I didn't know what was going to happen. Before, I didn't ask, and everyone got mad. You can't know. But you know why? can't know. But you know why? Like, I want to say a PSA here. You know why? Because it's only words. Yeah. Wow. We're not fighting a contra war. In Nicaragua, it's only yeah. words. So wow. whatever you say, whatever it is, totally cool. Yeah, okay. wow. And it's so crazy. How, That's a really nice it's, thing to it's, say. It's, it's insane when all this all this drama happens because people said something with their mouth. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know it's what? Funny. What's funny though, as a cisgender, to the Cuban as a cisgender <laughs> white, as a cisgender white man, you would have yeah. never asked the woman for permission to talk oh, about it. Is that? That's the problem. And you just demonstrated. Wait, maybe I heard you guys get trouble about this very issue. Maybe I learned a lesson. Not possible. Not possible. Yeah. I don't want to do this, but I do want to use this audio later. So maybe we'll cut this out. Matt, I I want to run something by you and I want to see if it changes your mind because you were defending something and I have the audio and I want to put it in the podcast and Aaron, you can respond. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Put it out. Maybe I'm wrong. Here it is. What's the audio? There's a clip that's been passed around of you in 2003 talking about the threat of China to American workers and predicting that if we normalize trade relations with China, it'd be devastating to American workers. And you actually predicted at the time that normalizing trade relations with China would be the end of the two-party system. Of course, we have now you as a top candidate as an outsider and Donald Trump who ran as an outsider and basically took over the Republican Party. What is your view of China today? Do you believe China represents an existential threat to the American worker? I wouldn't use the word existential threat. You know, I think China uh, is a country that is moving, unfortunately, in a more authoritarian way in a number of directions. Uh, We would have hoped that they would move toward a democratic, more democratic form of government and moving in the opposite direction. And they are a country that vigorously protects their own interests. But what we have to say about China, in fairness to China and its leadership, 
is if I'm not mistaken, they have made more progress in addressing extreme poverty than any country in the history of civilization. Okay, so they've done a lot of things for their people. Yeah, 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 yeah. In fairness That's... to China and its no, no, leadership. No, no, no. I revise and extend my remarks. Okay. Wow. What say you, Eric? Address wrong. The, the verb. You <laughs> shouldn't say that. I, don't, I, don't, you're I, like, I love how you're leading, no, leading him. It's President, President Xi, President Xi hasn't achieved things for his people. There's no, well, there's no all, United States trying to, to knock them off and murder Xi. The president of the United States says, oh, he's my friend. We're good friends. We're homeboys. Was he he's talking safe. about Xi? Yeah, yes. This is, yeah. this is from August of last year. Okay. I defend it because again, <laughs> I, no, again, I, first of all, to be a to be a leader to be a president you have to work with all these places you can't like no place is going to change in the image that the US wants it to be mm-hmm. so to recognize achievements especially that you know chi is not mao i mean he's not that system he comes after that he's, no he's, but he did just he's, he carried out a purge when he first ascended to the throne there and i think it's fair to call it that at this point where he killed like a million people who disagreed with him you think chi killed a million people who disagreed with him he's, he's pretty joe biden disappeared there, he's disappeared those people yeah i am actually well this um, is what okay, he's disappeared is, lots of people all right this is where you know what i just have to say i don't know enough about you well nobody none of don't. us know i just don't none but, of us uh, know what i'm sure. also cautious i about. didn't know that bernie was such a fan of free trade because <laughs> that's what pulled people no, out of, that's the thing. People didn't out say of poverty. That. I didn't that's say what that. I uh, yeah. was referencing before. Like, like that is a thing that libertarians talk about constantly. Like, I'm fine with that. Trade lifted I'm people out of poverty. I'm actually fine with that. But, but it's that trade. was not a trade. No, it wasn't, it wasn't like, like he built like, an industrial park. Well, let's, and said, let's, yeah. let's move on from here. If someone can praise the oh, U.S. government, then I'm totally fine with praising the Chinese government. Because, you know, everyone does awful things. And I just don't – I don't believe in cherry picking – in this in this context, I just don't. To, to, to the to extent the I I praise the United States government, it's like the actual principles and values that I'm talking about. I don't think you've not, ever actually the praised the U.S. government. No, anyway. I have. Well, on the Fourth of July, actually, almost every Fourth of July, to the extent we've recorded around the day, I talk about like what patriotism means to me and why this country is important to me, and wow. I value it. And it's not the people and it's not the institutions because fuck all of that. <laughs> it's, it's the idea of the rule of law and the, the notion of preserving it. And more fundamentally than all of that, the notion that I own myself. And that is essentially the fundamental idea that undergirds this whole system, at least for now. We'll Can see you how please, long that holds. I appreciate well, that freedom too. I really do. I'm very grateful that I don't live under a communist government. So, but it's just my, for me, I differ when it comes to my moral judgments of different governments, especially in light of what my own government does. Well, let's talk about the domestic situation and we, the let, let, radical let me, revolution. Can I read this first? Please, like, yeah. please, please, because so my chest t- is warm right oh, now. Oh, yeah, it's great. Me. So before we talk about the domestic situation, yes. I'm slurring a bit because I've been drinking Oeuvre uh, <laughs> Uh, Akvavit from the Vikre distillery in uh, Minnesota, made by hand in Duluth. And this was sent to us with a um, a hostage note taped onto it. <laughs> I, taped, uh, I taped it on there. Oh, you taped it on that's there. That's my process now. Okay, for Sean did not. Can, okay, Sean did We can thank the right people. Because that's, that's the note, because yeah. otherwise it looks like this guy's lost his fucking mind. <laughs> and we should I, send him something back. I did that. I didn't want to lose the note. Right. I wanted to attribute 
credit to the right uh, people. Okay, so well, Sean wrote a note and we should read that and said, happy holidays. Thanks for bringing this to us, Camille, fucking Fucker. six months later. Dude, there's so many of those I know, bottles I know, I know. that say happy holidays. Uh, this is some Christmas cheer that we're, we're now drinking in February <laughs> for you all to share. And there's a parenthetical, although maybe serve Moynihan last. <laughs> Sean, I'm Not reading wrong. this fucking note for you. Jesus. <laughs> Love the show. I've been listening since the first episode. Wow. I love when the OGs come wow. out like that. Surprise fisting. Um, and thought I should uh, quit freeloading. That's what I said. Yeah, all of you should episode. quit freeloading. You freeloaders. Um, it's in Cuba. I've had, I've had, Aaron, I'm just fucking, I've had the unfortunate circumstance of living in uh, Steve King's district. Oh, dear oh. God. Uh, Ilhan Omar's district. Oh, the man is bipartisan. Uh, and family in Michelle Bachman's district. I relish any good uh, conversations about politics and media as they are often in short su- uh, supply during these years. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Skoll, the, uh, the universally Scandinavian uh, cheers from Sean. And so uh, Sean is in Minnesota. Thank you, Sean, because I've been drinking this since the beginning of this uh, episode. My face feels hot. It's delicious. Yeah, it's delicious. What is it? Uh, It's Aquavit, uh, the uh, great... um, What's it uh, derived from? I've never had this before. There's anesthetes that give it the taste. But it doesn't give you a lot of the licorice feel. Yeah, this one actually doesn't. It usually has a very heavy kind of licorice feel. Hmm. Um, there's a couple that I really, really I mean, enjoy. I'm going to go be the naked cowboy after. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, Speaking thank, of thank naked you, Sean. Cowboys. And uh, if it wasn't for Sean, I would have literally been wrestling with Aaron on the ground. I'm just, I'm just too drunk to do it. Well, listen, speaking of which, I want to say one more thing for you to respond to in oh, your yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. in your uh, post Patreon. show. Oh, yeah. Patreon yeah. Which I'll is, send you a link. I would like you to address. Send her the link. I would like you to address the <laughs> International Court of Justice ruling against the U.S. for mining Nicaragua's harbor. Yes, yes, okay. I will. And, I, and, okay, and it was, it was uh, an enormous, enormous, enormous mistake. It Not just never, a mistake. It no, never it's a, it's a, it's, it's, uh, yes. it's international terrorism. Yes. That's yes. what it was. And yes. so that's the context I'm talking about is why I don't judge. A government Not of it's terrorism, but, you know, it's, it, we're trying to blow up um, uh, uh, ships that were military ships. But it's still, it's still wrong. It was wrong in every way. The and cor- I think that the, the right didn't... people that, that, that at the time who opposed that um, were, were not loud enough. There were people on both sides of that debate, by the way, that thought that was an incredibly stupid move. There, there were people, brave people in Congress uh, who resisted it, um, mm. but which I think is actually. Yes, I will address that because I am I, I know the Nicaraguan Revolution um, and um, everything that followed uh, was sort of better than I should. I don't know. It's, it's, it's been a, a really really big obsession for, of mine for like a decade. And I have, so I have very, you know, I have very, 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 I know I have weird, <laughs> I have very mixed feelings on some of it. And, um, but the one thing I will say is that I, I that it's bizarre to me is that, um, what has become caricature is, uh, the Contras actually as, uh, a counter revolutionary force, which is a very sort of varied force of people, you know, and m- many of whom, including like Aiden Pastora, were members of the Sandinista uh, original junta who left. Um, that but, is true. So, Someone yeah. defected. Yes. So there's true. some. It's, there's that's a true. bunch of different types of that, and they all get lumped into one. But okay. anyway, so we'll we'll talk about that in the what, Patreon. Was I, the draw? Okay, you know okay. what? Yeah, <laughs> I, have an idea. I have an idea. Bring him. Bring him. I have an idea. Bring him. We report. We recorded at my apartment. Yeah. And you you can come. Where do you live? I'm in Prospect Heights. Okay, you're not yeah, fun. Come in. Take I'm a in car. Prospect Heights. Yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. Take well, a You know, I was going to say, who you, right. should, who you should really have on to discuss this is... Daniel my, Ortega. <laughs> Daniel Ortega or my, my Grey Zone colleague, Max Blumenthal. 
who's been to Nicaragua, and you guys, you guys could really have the conversation oh, because Max. he, like, he. I know Max. Yeah, you do, and he has uh, a grasp on history that I don't. So that would be a really epic conversation if you guys could. I think we might have okay. a fist fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. we'll get him drunk. Yeah, I like you because you're just like ah, they're just words. We'll get him. <laughs> you probably stab me. Um, so let's talk about the domestic policy situation because yeah, you got some Bernie Sanders this. may in fact be the president of the United States, in and like Bernie five Sanders days. has made big proposals. Uh, oftentimes I will see them referred to as plans, his plans for how to pay for things. I see that in the headline. Aaron, I have to tell you that I think <laughs> calling these things plans is generous. In fact, I think it's just a lie. It's not a plan. Whoa. Aaron, like what? All of it. The, the, <laughs> the price tag. Firstly, Bernie does his 60 Minutes interview with Anderson Cooper and there is a big problem. There's a defect in the interview because he's like, hey, so Bernie, how much will this cost? He's like, I, you know, I don't really, I can't really get into all of the. I'm not a mathematician. Didn't give an answer. <laughs> didn't go over well. The very next day, a list is published to the website and it's got all of these things, all of these proposals for how he'll pay for various things. They're all there. And folks have actually started to run the numbers on this stuff. And it's not entirely clear because every presidential candidate like gives you numbers and then the numbers don't quite add up. But we're talking 70 trillion to 50 trillion over 10 years for the raft of policy proposals, which include everything from not only forgiveness of student loan debt, but free college going forward, housing guarantees, job guarantees, Essentially, if you want it, you're getting it for free on Bernie Sanders, paid for by the billionaires, except even with the numbers he's laid out from the at least the estimates I've seen from Forbes, which, again, all of this is hard to do. It's like twenty five trillion dollars short. And the reason I say it's not a plan is because. The challenge here is that if we confiscated all of the wealth from all of the billionaires, I'm not even sure we've got $10 trillion there. In fact, I know that we don't have $10 trillion there, which ought to give people a sense for what we're talking about. And that's all of the wealth. All of the wealth from all of the billionaires because billionaires shouldn't exist. So fine, they don't exist. We took all of their money and you know they're still okay. We didn't kill them. We just took all their stuff. We can't pay for all these programs. How is this stuff feasible, Aaron? I haven't done the math, so I can't vouch for every single plan. But this is your guy. Well, he's he's got a lot in common with Bernie. Well, well, first of all, first of all, you know, just because someone proposes something doesn't mean that's exactly what goes through in the end. And of course, you think that a lot of this will get through Congress. I mean, no, I hope not. No, but but take health care. So and look, this is where there's different numbers. So, for example, the Lancet says that um, it will that, that, that Bernie's plan will cost about three trillion and Bernie says the current spending is about three point five trillion, mm-hmm. which means that we're saving um, five hundred billion dollars there. You know, so like by that, like if those numbers are correct, then Bernie Sanders' healthcare Medicare for all plan is paid for. Now, other studies say that actually his plan is more expensive than he says it is. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like I, I haven't ran all the numbers, but what I do know is that um, the argument that this medic that this healthcare system is fundamentally uh, flawed and broken. I mean, I don't see how you can dispute that when we pay. I mean, the, like he has the talking points and they're correct. We pay double per capita, but we cover far less people. 
you know, 60,000 people, whatever it is, die a year from preventable illnesses because they don't have health care. People who have it. It's so- amazing that that number keeps getting inflated. Before the ACA, the number that they were throwing around was 30,000. So I did, I did hear, I've heard people saying 60,000 people dying without, on account of their not having sufficient healthcare coverage, but, but try to argue against that though, because try to argue against when, when Bernie Sanders says, and I think it's a very effective uh, line of attack Mm -hmm. when, you know, I sent you guys something of Bernie saying um, a a few years ago and something that I'll, I'll publish um, fairly soon um, that, you know, uh, we can't do a lot of the gun things that they do in Europe because we have fundamentally a different culture and we're just a different, I mean, that applies in a lot of things and in a sense in healthcare too, but, but it, it is a very, very strong, angle of attack to say we are the only industrialized nation that does not have a some form of universal coverage. Correct. And mm-hmm. people say, why can't that happen? So when you get into the numbers, and I understand why one does, you have to, right? But when you get into the numbers, it's, it's you know, it, people, it kind of is a fog to people. Because if you mm-hmm. spend any time abroad, you say, well, they do it. And, you know, Germany is like a pretty, pretty raring and, and, and you know, um, dynamic economy. And the same thing is true of Sweden and Denmark and the rest of it, which are capitalist countries that have rather high uh, uh, taxes. I mean, they are capitalist. Yeah, um, Switzerland, too. And I know you've written about this and got a lot of shit for writing about it from libertarians. Um, but that, I think, is a very, very effective argument. And mm-hmm. it's a hard thing for people to actually get into the weeds of the numbers, which, which, which shows you why I think. Bernie not showing his math has not really dented his popularity because nope. people just think like this is something that should happen. Do you think that like um, Donald Trump has suffered from the math about his wall <laughs> <laughs> or his tax cut? But there that, was money but, for the tax cut. There's money for increasing I, spending on the military. That's some MMT this shit. Is, so maybe this is, a, this is another. Yeah. yeah, this is another argument that we never, ever ask people, or at least this is what AOC and I, I think Bernie has probably echoed the same thing. Um have said on a number of occasions, we never asked the question, how are we going to pay for these other various, various other things? It's unfortunate that we asked that question on this important issue. How we'll pay for healthcare for everyone. She's right. Is an argument. She, um, no, I'm sorry, but she's right. No, I mean, it's, it's an do, argument. Do, do you have Republicans asking that about military is, spending? Dude, I don't Trump, think that's much of a justification. Yeah, yeah. Donald no, Trump's not a justification, but it's, it, she is correct on that. Said, Donald only, Trump said six months ago, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, there's going to be a debt crisis, but not while I'm president. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he, did, he, didn't, he didn't say that publicly. No, um, it was, it was, he was report, it's been reported that he said that, and I think it was published in a, in a book. I totally believe he said Absolutely. that. Absolutely. 100%. And it's certainly the case that he operates in that way. Um, Aaron, I, I think I may have cut you off when you were um, perhaps mid-riff or perhaps you were two-thirds of the way well, through. Well, listen, my main thing is the healthcare thing because, you know, as Michael says, to me, that's such an easy argument that our current system is a scandal. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. People are dying. I had to stay in a job once because I, you know, I didn't want to lose healthcare. I mean, like, and especially coming from Canada where, where I'm from, where uh-huh. that's just not an issue. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden you have to think about like, damn, I can't leave and follow my dreams because I can't give up. I mean, that's, it's, it sucks. It's crazy. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm in a privileged position. You sign an NDA? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, NDA with, with uh, Jean Cretin. <laughs> well, and, and so the other stuff I, look, he says that it comes from taxes on uh, Wall Street speculation, on wealth taxes. I haven't run the numbers, so I'm not going to be your Bernie Sanders economy guy. But what I do know is that (laughs) economist guy. But what I do know is that the current system 
is failing people. Yeah. Is, is failing people. Uh-huh. This fucking beat is good. And uh, there does need to be some changes and some changes of priorities. So, you know, it, it's it's an easy argument to make about how there's money for war in the wall, but I think it's a very compelling one. It's a question of having a cultural change and not being so beholden to the ideas of the past that, you know, we can pay for certain things, but we can't pay for others. You'll have to have an economist on, like, I think, uh, Richard I, I, Wolf. I think I think there's a point to, to be made of of exactly this the 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 wall aspect other things the 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 debate moderator who says Bernie says only one thing what is the uh, accumulated effect of him saying this every single time no matter what he's going to find a way within the first two minutes of any debate to talk about Medicare for all every every country does it why don't it we works do it? yeah um, because he's, he's he's right. Yeah. That that doesn't exist uh, in this country and exists everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, people, I think, are sophisticated enough um, as consumers, as Aaron is here, to say, yeah, I don't know the details, but I know that's what he wants to do more <laughs> than what anybody else wants to do. That's I, sophistication? You, <laughs> I, don't know yeah. that, I don't know that that's what that word means. No, but like, yes and no. I mean, I'm arguing. He holds the American people in very low regard. <laughs> I'm, I'm arguing against myself a little bit because uh, of, of where my own brain wants to go with things. Uh, but but there's a signaling exercise of this stuff. And, yeah. and, that, and that is effective in American po- politics and probably right now effective in global politics because we're in a populist moment mm-hmm. where people feel like their concerns have been disdained by the elites on both sides. And so there's populists on the left populists on the right and the number of people who are are uh living in governments like this has tripled quadrupled quintupled in 10 years it's amazing how much it happens and you do this when the elites have failed uh and so you can make these sort of promise the selena zito line about like you know take him seriously but not literally i think that that can be applied to bernie sanders mm. like in in a weird way like elizabeth warren the most favored presidential candidate among journalists in the history of the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Matt, Matt, shit. That who, by the way, complain nonstop that no one's covering her. She's being erased. It's, yeah. uh, it's baffling. <laughs> Please read, and I could talk about this all day, and Lord knows our, our, our ongoing WhatsApp feed is filled with me like uh, uh, complaining about this. Um, so uh, Jack Schaefer wrote about this about a, a week ago, like documenting how much journalists love her <laughs> yeah. and complain that journalists don't love her. It's just, <laughs> did, did, did Jack write Jack's Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, it, it, it's super he's good. The, he's the best. But like, I we I think that we should consume his crappy, totally fake numbers with that in mind, with the the way that they are actually. Uh, consumed in the marketplace, which mm-hmm. is that he is signaling, you know, message I care, mm-hmm. as yes. uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush uh, sort of said. It is a message that he cares. You know Bernie cares about this a little bit more than everybody else. But yeah, okay. and, and this wanna... is important, by mm-hmm. the way, before we get the angry emails that, yeah, like, I mean, we could have a conversation right now about what it would do to the economy if we decide to, you know, take wealth from all the billionaires and, you know, attack Wall Street in the way that Bernie wants to do. 
We can have that conversation, but it's not terribly interesting to me at the moment. I think well, actually, like, I'm, I'm very no, no, interested no, 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 in knowing no, no, whether or not no, no, Aaron thinks there would be well, 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 economic devastation. Well, we can ask Aaron that, but but but, yeah, but, but you know the, my the, answer. It's easy. Wall Street has already attacked the economy and they crashed it. So having some regulation over it and taking taking from it to me it would be a first step towards. And I meant confiscating rebuilding. all of the wealth from but all of the but billionaires. Bernie, Bernie's not going to confiscate all uh, the wealth. I know. You know, he's not. That's the thing. It's like I just wanted to know if you would agree that that would create economic ruin uh if he took all the money from all the billionaires yeah well uh he said he's not an economist actually i'd actually he said he's a communist i'd love to see that happen one day but certainly i don't think bernie's not gonna but bernie's not gonna do that he won't i'm gonna hear in my life is the the sound of aaron cocking a pistol as i'm as i'm against the wall i'm like aaron we were but like we let you come on and make the argument. Seriously, the one question that I came in here wanting to ask, and I'll do it now, it's just like, what are you guys going to do with us? <laughs> that's the thing, you because know. Those Uyghur camps. No, are you're bad. Gonna, that's the thing. You you're going to love it. You know what? So there, that's, it won't even come to that, Matt Welch. You know what? Like Chris Matthews complaining about the Reds killing him in Central Park. If the Reds, if the communists, that was pretty crazy. By the if way, if the communists ever invaded so New York City, yeah. Chris Matthews would be the first person rounding people up. Oh, of, course. Of, of course, of so course, he, like, he, he'd be the, the head of the so Beijing government. You mean he just, he just go along with it? He'd that go is along not with much it. of yeah. a defense. Actually. Okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, the, that's actually the worst. Look defense at these guys. I've heard they ever. got the communists and they're shooting the hawk. Ed <laughs> Rendell, great American. What I'm we, saying is that, is that oh, in an industry where healthcare executives make over twenty million dollars yeah, as yeah. a salary, get in there. That's just not a sustainable model. It just isn't. I hear you. Like that one's got to go. Everything else. And look. I take Bernie Sanders on faith. I really do. I yeah. trust him. If he says he has a plan for it, he can pay for it. I trust him. But also, Congress will never approve something, <laughs> even if he can pay for it anyway. Hmm. They won't. They won't. They won't. At, at least this Congress. So I think if anybody's concerned about Bernie Sanders and his agenda being too ambitious, they can, uh, I think, take some hope from the fact that there, there, there will be a Congress that he'll have to compromise with. And that's why AOC recently said, and I think she's right. That ultimately will probably just have to compromise for a public option, hmm. and the the answer for the progressive movement will be to take take the you know temporary loss in the same way that we had to compromise with the Affordable Care Act, which was in many ways terrible, but at least it gave you know twenty million people something, uh, and then keep moving the ball towards the ultimate goal one day of single payer. I think that's probably how things would work. Yeah, so is, before is it, I before I yeah. provide an actual response to this question about how do we respond to the very compelling argument that, hey, everybody else has this system yeah. and we ought to as well. And hey, look, we don't quite know how we're going to pay for it, but it's the right thing to do. I, I can respond to this. I have a response, but I, I'd like to just make certain I understand where we've come from. It sounds like, Aaron, you agree that we probably shouldn't take the whole of Bernie's pitch particularly seriously because or one, literally. or literally, um, one, because it's unlikely to be passed in whole at this stage. And actually, maybe that's the only reason. Well, but is that a worry for you also? Is that, you know, I mean, I talked to somebody uh, two days ago who's not a very political person, older person, who said um, they want Donald Trump gone and they think Bernie's out of his mind uh, on this stuff and we can't pay for any of it. And is it rather than shooting the moon and getting some sort of middle ground, or, I mean, that's the overturn window shifting to a middle ground. Um, do you 
you know, run the very real risk of alienating a number of people in that center lane that say, geez, I don't know, I'm going to vote for Trump or I'm not going to show up, whatever it might be, is that is it politically like sensible to go that far when, and just say, well, you know, it's not going to pass anyway, but this is what I want. But given that the most, you know, I mentioned this earlier, given that the most recent election saw a centrist losing to a reality TV show host who was freestyling his campaign. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I don't think you can, I don't, I don't see how you can argue that someone who's going a bit more left and is speaking to something that is not actually all that radical, which is healthcare for everybody. I just don't see that shoot. I don't see that as shooting for the moon. He's not talking about like, expropriating big industries and i mean if he was doing Yet. that fine well no i mean when you explicitly say that you want to limit people's ability to fire people which bernie sanders has explicitly said he wants to do you are in effect creating a circumstance where you are controlling Every company in the country. Yes, but you're not nationalizing industry. No, you're not nationalizing industries, but you are effectively taking a government role in the hiring and firing of people. And you are diminishing the likelihood that I will hire certain people, given that now there is this, as of yet, completely undefined bureaucratic process for obtaining approvals for people I want to fire from a company that I started. It's also the private insurance thing, too, which is when you're using Scandinavia as your kind of benchmark. I mean, I had private insurance when I was in Sweden and yeah. that was not my choice. It was the company that I worked yeah. for. I had private insurance and that kind of thing, which, you know, as we all know, and we know these numbers, it, you know, it's like ad infinitum. You hear this argued is that people are by and large happy with their in- insurance plans. And that, that has been pretty steady for some time. The thing that I, I think is that, that, where Bernie is, and again, why I mentioned before of like not actually debating the specifics of who's going to pay for what, just the feeling of it, which is what I'm seeing is what, this is what elections are about. I mean, it's all about the feeling. I talk yeah. to people and it's like, it's just about feeling. No one's talking about like dollars and cents. Sure. Is that, um, you know, take conservatives like um, Conrad Black, a uh, Canadian guy used to own he's out of jail. jail, right? jail. Yeah, he's out of jail. But when he came out of jail, what did he do? He started railing against the prison industrial complex. Chuck Colson, arrested in Watergate, same thing. Mm-hmm. Started the prison fellowships and, and, and said this is a... Which is a heroic series of actions, yes, by the way. I mean, but, but the point being is that people right, left, and center, when they have actual interactions with a bad system, start being drawn towards the one person who's speaking clearly about that system. And I'm somebody who was talking to an insurance company on the phone yesterday, and I wanted to, like commit suicide yeah it was so insane and i did a piece for the hbo show where i went and i just i literally three seconds ago just took insulin and i bought one of these <laughs> pens that is in my hand this is a humalog pen from eli Lilly, and i bought it in mexico at se- for 17 dollars. it is in this country i think 175 or 200 dollars, in which we subsidize uh, the rest of the world because they negotiate prices from the government so when other people in interf- like i know the the sort of economic difficulties a lot of this stuff and i have mixed feelings on a lot of this stuff too but when people have and i went across the border with people who yeah. are not rock rib lefties they did not have palestinian scarves on they were not people who graduated from fucking oberlin i mean these were just ordinary americans who were diabetic and they were like this is insane that i cannot i cannot get this at my pharmacy to because if i don't have it i die and if i don't have the you know 
you know, it's usually like if you have a high deductible cover, like you have to pay $2,000 up front just to get your insulin. This is when people start migrating. So there's two things that I think that I could be wrong about this. That is a huge drought of Bernie. And the other thing is the economy being as good as it is. And I, and I grant that Bernie's also not wrong about this is that, you know, wage growth has stagnated and there's forever unemployment since like the early eighties. And then unemployment is the, you know, what, how how many year low at this point? 50, 50 year low. But are those jobs good? People make that argument. But that is also, I will say in a positive way, that is something that, that buoys Donald Trump is that he's running on the economy. If the economy tanks, you know, that's probably why he's getting a bit panicky at the stock market the other day. But you have those two things, which it's not much more complicated than that. Well, let's stick. It to, really isn't. Well, let's stick to the healthcare thing for a minute, anyways, and I'll, I'll at least try to level some sort. I'm gonna of, get so many angry mails. Some sort of assault against <laughs> the <laughs> proposal that what we he- need here is a national healthcare system. The assault on insulin. Um, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> why do you first, want me to die? Carol? First, I'll acknowledge that the American healthcare system is not phenomenal. Hundreds of thousands of people a year die as a result of preventable medical injuries. It is phenomenal. The insurance system's no, 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 no. The United States healthcare system is not phenomenal. Uh, Hundreds of thousands. Let me make my argument, then you can disagree. You don't even know what I'm going to say. Yeah, hundreds. But you're wrong at the beginning. Hundreds of thousands of people a year die as a result of preventable medical injuries. That is a thing that happens. Whatever is going on in our system, the incentives are such that that is not only the case today, it has been the case for decades in almost every single administration. I don't know if the Trump administration has done it, has convened some sort of commission that was supposed to study the issue, make recommendations, and they haven't been able to make a dent in it. It continues to be the case. It is also the case that it is exorbitantly expensive given the sort of outcomes that we get. And I say that acknowledging the fact that we pay for and fund a lot of the R&D that goes into creating the great pharmaceuticals that a lot of the world gets to benefit from. There is certainly some truth in that. There's almost certainly also a lot of cushion in there because I'll get to that in a second. So I'll acknowledge all of that stuff. The question, however, is not Okay, so since it's really expensive in the United States and since it doesn't work really well, then what we need is to get rid of the market and move completely over to a government-run system. Because one, it's not as though those systems don't have problems too. Nearly every single one of Massive these problems, yeah. other systems has huge financial difficulty. And they're finding ways to fund these programs by cutting services in certain cases, mm-hmm. by extending wait times. There is always rationing in these systems. It is necessarily true. And the rationing in a place like the UK, like it's supposed to be this wonderfully transparent system. And it is in the sense that you kind of get a sense of who's making these decisions. But the formulas that they concoct when they're figuring out whether or not providing some sort of service to you through the NHS is worthwhile for you to live as a certain kind of person with a particular kind of disability. And One might look at that and say, I would prefer to have a government board making decisions like that as opposed to have prices be the determining factor in whether or not I can get some sort of surgery, right? I can understand how someone would reach that conclusion, but I want to posit something else, that if the principal concern is that American healthcare is too expensive, if that is the principal concern, it might not be for some people, but it is for me. 
then what could we do to reduce the cost of healthcare in the United States? And I think there's actually a tremendous amount that we could do short of nationalizing the system. And it is always amazing to me that there is zero curiousness about these things. Like purchasing insurance across state lines is like one of those things that one might be able to do. It's an option. But you still... And deregulating the healthcare industry is another one of the things that you could do. It is insane to me that the American Medical Association has a monopoly on both minting doctors um, and on making policy essentially related to how healthcare operates in this country, meaning the stuff that like a nurse could do versus what a doctor can actually do when they're rendering care to you. Um, and they're responsible for deciding on the process for minting doctors, which is actually a totally insane process. Like it's way too long. It's exorbitantly expensive and it creates an obstacle for people who have been trained who've been practicing surgery in place like India for like 30 years, if they come to the United States and they haven't gone to an accredited AMA medical school, like they cannot practice here. They're it's always driving your Uber. absolutely insane. All of the things that I've just underscored, all of the things that I've just underscored make American healthcare more expensive and they make the supply less robust, which means that the costs are higher. There are definitely ways today that we could improve the quality of care and that we could reduce the cost of care to a point that it would actually be incredibly affordable for most people. If only we were actually willing to have serious conversations about this. But I don't think it's a serious conversation to look abroad at the various government-run healthcare schemes that are all bursting at the seams with costs and are all deeply concerned about the fact that they are their rapidly aging populations are going to cost them a shit ton of money. And when I talk about hundreds of thousands of people a year who die in the United States as a result of preventable medical injuries, I don't know what the number is in the UK, but I do know that they pay far more than we do when it comes to actual settlements related to medical injuries that happen in their healthcare system. The fact that the incentives run in a particular way, where essentially all of the healthcare is provided by the government and that the people who deliver the mail and who run the schools, like once you put them in charge of the hospitals, the hospitals don't necessarily run all that great either. That is not a, a shocking us. outcome to me. Right. And if that is the goal that a lot of people have in mind, that we can make the system more equitable, yeah, it can be equitable. And there's a couple of ways to get equity. You can raise the floor and you can make it better for everyone or you can degrade it and make it worse for everyone. And I, I just I think there's a universe of options between like where the United States is today and a national health care system. And people underappreciate the degree to which the United States does not have a free market system today. Before the ACA, it was already the case that the United States government spent about 50 percent of all health care system. They accounted for it directly. And what they didn't pay for directly came from third parties like insurance companies, private insurance companies. And I don't think that private insurance is a great way to pay for primary care. I think it's a terrible idea. So at a minimum, I think I've managed to complicate the narrative, and I've probably said far too much for you to actually respond to fairly, but I have leveled a completely sensible and I think accurate defense for some sort of free market healthcare reform. It's probably never going to happen because it's far more convenient and politically palatable to say, we're going to take care of everyone. We'll just get the money from the billionaires. So why, Camille, let me just ask you a question in response to this. But I'm not wrong about this. Let me just ask you a question in response to this. 
Why do you think that the party that presumably would be equipped to make that argument, which would be the which Republican Party, presumably. Are they? Oh, they're not. No, of course they're <laughs> yeah, not. They're definitely not. That's the question, <laughs> is that why, when you make an argument like that, and of course, everything that I've said about healthcare is only about feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Is about why people are are drawn to people like Bernie Sanders because they do have these problems and it is exorbitantly expensive, absurdly expensive. And they just say, oh, the other guys get it for free. I mean, they don't really get it for free, of course. No, but, but yeah, well, it I mean, costs a lot of tax money. rates. In, in, well, my old joke was in Sweden is that, you know, if I'm standing there and somebody takes a $20 bill out of my pocket without me knowing it and then go, goes, buy, goes and buys like a bottle of wine and then hands it to me, did I just get a free bottle of wine? Well, no, <laughs> they just took it out of my pocket and bought it for me. But like, yeah, you don't get it for free as such. But people like the sort of they see it as a streamlined sort of system. But it's not about like, so my argument is not that you're, what you're saying is wrong or shouldn't be tried. But the question is, is that Bernie Sanders is making a compelling argument because nobody is making the argument that you're making. Is it because it's too complicated? Almost certainly. You think that's it? Absolutely. Is that it's it, it, people say, well, I, I don't get it. But it's also, like, no. it's also not, it's also not satisfying, but Aaron, you may, you may well, because, yeah. disagree fundamentally. Well, my I, problem is wrong or what? If, if you try to work within a system that still is run for profit, where you still have to make your margins, you still have to pay your executives $20 million salaries, and you still have all this, all these incre- incredible bureaucratic costs that result solely from the fact that it's private, all these added, uh, you know, uh, all the added paperwork you have to go through for the sole purpose of this is a company trying to make money, uh, then um, it just, like, I don't see how you solve the problem where you still have millions of people who don't have health insurance and people are dying and people are, have you know, it's something like 8 million people have launched GoFundMes for mm-hmm. their healthcare costs and people are going without insulin. I don't see how within this system... Mm-hmm. Uh, you you address all of that. So it's not to me just about cost. And but even on the sole issue of cost, we're still paying more per capita than anybody else we, and covering we are. less people. You're you're right about all so, that. I think I actually think competition would do a great deal to reduce the cost of care in the United States. A marketplace for healthcare works and is valuable for precisely the same reason a marketplace for anything else is valuable. Prices are signals, they communicate a lot of things that are complex and they help people get a hold of distributed knowledge. This is Hayek. You should go read Use of Knowledge in Society. Anyone listening? Yeah, I'm sure Aaron's going to sprint out and read that. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I wasn't for Aaron. That was for anyone yeah. else. I think there's a bookstore um, that's open right now. So, uh. so, so, so if there are people who can actually enter into the industry, who can genuinely compete, if you can push more of the regular services that people need on a regular basis down to these interesting like retail clinics that have popped up in places like Walmart or Dwayne Reed, where they're able to do stuff like give you a dental cleaning for like 10 bucks and a a medical exam for like $30, whether or not you have insurance, that's actually exceptional. Like I want more of that. I want to create a dynamic, innovative system where people can get care in all kinds of great ways, as opposed to a stultified system for delivering the same service that doesn't change for a hundred years, like the public school system. But the only way you're getting a good deal is if either you're getting a subsidy from Obamacare or if you have employer health insurance. When I had employer health insurance, I was loving life. It was great. Now, until I realized that I couldn't leave my job 
Until I figured out where else I was going. Right. And you also didn't realize that all of those wage increases that you were getting were going directly to your health care provider because of the insane price inflation that happens in the in the healthcare industry. The same way insane price inflation happens in the higher education industry, which is also heavily subsidized by the government. Let me give you an argument back that is is often made. I want to see what you make of this. You talk about competition and particularly, you know, I mentioned insulin, Aaron also did. Um, You know, when I got my insulin for $17 in Mexico, it was because there are three people, basically, uh, Mm -hmm. three companies that make make the insulin that I need. Yeah. And um, uh, the government was negotiating those prices down. So it said, you know, if you want access to this market, you got to get it down. Is there something to be said for that in the sense that, you know, the the, I, I went to Eli Lilly, to their headquarters in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And I said, are you losing a ton of money in Mexico because uh, of the cost? I mean, of course, they take into consideration wages in Mexico, et cetera. And uh, they said, no, we're mm-hmm. actually not. Um, and it wasn't necessarily because they, we were subsidizing the insulin that, that Mexicans, uh, Mexican diabetics were taking. So, you know, I get your point, and I'm not even making this point. I'm just wondering how you would respond to those people that say this. I, actually, I think Bernie, Bernie Sanders would, would would presumably say this, too, is that if the government is negotiating those prices, which is why the prices are so radically different in Mexico than they are here, mm-hmm. because they say if you want access to this market, you got to play ball with us. Yeah, I don't— He does I, say that. I, I, I don't disagree that the prices for most pharmaceuticals in the United States are too high. And when I say too high, I mean that there's not really a market for those things. And I think that has a lot to do with uh, an antiquated, outmoded intellectual property regime. It desperately needs to be reformed. There is no natural amount of time that a company ought to enjoy patent protection when it manufactures some sort of pharmaceutical. And the fact of the matter is that if I independently discover, for example, precisely what's required to make that insulin – I don't think men with guns should come to my house and say, no, 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 you can't make that shit yourself. You have to pay me a thousand. You have to pay that guy a thousand dollars in order to save your life or deliver this product to market. By the way, you can't get like an old school insulin at Walmart for like 10 bucks. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's insane. It's it's way out of uh, date, but uh, I think that, I think that you could make that change and it's not obvious to me that you would have profoundly less innovation. The fact of the matter is that, and, and I'm sure Aaron knows this, that there has actually been less, um, less output with respect to like pharmaceutical developments like in recent years. It's just true. The compar- I, you know, I, the- I think we could actually still get a lot of R&D dollars driven yeah. to very interesting and effective places by making the system more dynamic and competitive. And I don't think we actually need the government to step in and negotiate prices in order to achieve that effect. It does. And so that's, my, that's my, my last thing on argument. this is that it, it does mirror in a sense, um, the, a book I read a long time ago called the Walmart effect. And it was, a they took these examples and one was like pickles or something like a big jar of pickles, which are like five cents at Walmart. It's, I always used to make the joke. I go, Cause there's no Walmart in New York city. I go in and I'm like, man, everything's free here. <laughs> and it's like, if you want access to our market, which is the biggest market in the U.S., you got to make those prices super fucking competitive, or you're not gonna you're not gonna play game, play ball here. And that's essentially when I talk to government officials and talk to industry officials when talking about insulin production. And that was essentially what they were saying: is that if we want that market, which is a big market for us, and those exist all over the world, you know, Norway's negotiating prices with Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk and things like that, is that we that's one way of making ourselves competitive for their market, in which they control 
everything. Yeah, and I, just, I don't think that's the, the best way of doing it. I don't think you have to go that far. But, if if but, anyone can make the insulin, then they can compete in other ways and there can still be a robust market for insulin and there can still be enough profit. For look, but you still have to deal with the fact that the, the Mexican government can make insulin super, super cheap on their own. Yeah, and, if and, I had a choice between the Mexican government's insulin and like it, some, the, some the, the Mexican government's company, insulin is, ma- is made in Indianapolis. It is the same stuff. There's make it two places, one in Puerto Rico, one in Naples, one in France. And I think one in Italy, but it's all comes to the same place. But like literally people in California walk over the border. They park. There's a parking lot. You know yeah. this, man. In San Diego, they walk over and it's three hundred dollars. Gavin Newsom yeah. is talking about uh, having uh, California. Have a state I, I saw that. Yeah. Have the, they, they'll have their own like pharmaceutical line. And again, I think that's ridiculous. I want to point I think that is I think that's a great way to actually keep prices way too high and to have precisely the same problem that Every single nationalized healthcare system in the world has. They are too fucking expensive and they're getting more expensive. And as a consequence, they have all, all been pursuing market oriented reforms and making cuts. Two fuck ups, one from each major political party I want to highlight is that Republicans, Betsy McConaughey, whatever the hell, in the 90s and the aughts when they were fighting back from... Did you say Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, I sure did. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right. Man, um, this they tried to make ass. the argument, and this is Michael uh, the, referred to a call I wrote for a reason that was a bit controversial, saying with the headline, why I prefer French healthcare. My wife is French. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. uh, made you a lot of friends. <clears throat> uh, it made me a lot of friends. But um, the mistake that Republicans made back then was to say... American healthcare is the best. That's no, a mistake. That Don't was a that. mistake. Yeah. It's yeah. just not. Mm-hmm. It, at the highest end, yes, it is. At the not highest end, why are you kidding me? It's yeah, crazy. Right. <laughs> but the end, the other mistake, which feeds into this and also feeds into the current political moment of Bernie Sanders and, and others, is Barack Obama and his advisors doing the Affordable Care Act. They decided early on, we are not to going lie. that too. <laughs> But we are not going to address the original sin from the policy perspective here. I'm like now, like I presume everyone is lying and saying crazy <laughs> shit all the time. But I'm just like, what? what's the policy? So what, what the policy was back then was we're not going to address the artificial World War II era scarcity uh, era sure. uh, making uh, health insurance an artifact of, of employment. Right. Right. Because because employers, employers can write off the cost of health insurance as opposed to that they pay for on a, on behalf of their employees. You could make that. It's actually an easy fix. You just make it equal the tax treatment of health plans that would end that thing overnight. It would diminish it for the most part, like, but it would allow it to be portable. So you yeah. wouldn't be trapped in your job. I was in this exact same situation as you, Aaron. Like I went from the LA times to reason from a Friday to a Monday. And the reason why I did that was that I was terrified about health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I don't understand basic te- technology and other things, too. <laughs> <laughs> I got on WhatsApp. Don't, you did don't. figure out WhatsApp. I did. It was crazy. Yeah, you got um, 10 points for that. And uh, and as like fate would happen um, in that period between <laughs> that Friday and that Monday. <laughs> shut up. Stop it. Um, no, that they, uh, that I'm like a boxing referee. We got to call this fight soon, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that even though the, the, the health employer, the, the health uh, company was the same as Blue Cross, um, it didn't kick in until like nine weeks later. I had Cobra. In the meantime, my wife got pregnant. I hurt my knee. Like it cost me. 10- did you get, did you hurt your knee while you're getting your wife pregnant? I wouldn't <laughs> presume so. <laughs> Trapezes don't like pay it's themselves. Really weird. <laughs> I, get, I hurt my uh, knee. Just and it literally cost me like $10,000 or close to $10,000. I mean, like that little thing. And if you had your own portable health insurance, as opposed to always having it tied to your employer, it wouldn't have been like sure. that. Obama could have done that. And everybody at that time was saying like, dude, that's the thing. That's the original sin of the American healthcare problem. And he thought in a pragmatic, moderate. Wage like, and price controls. Um, like, yeah, you know, that's, that's too much of an ask. Yeah. It was, it was wage and price controls from World War II. Absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and so that is why we can't have price in our system. That should be addressed. And, and unfortunately there's no political party that's even thinking about this anymore. And I just want to say, I've never met anyone who loved the healthcare market, who loved the competition between like bronze, medallion, extra. No, it's terrible. Plus, you know, it's, it's bad. No one's benefited from it. Yeah. No, the, the ACA was a bad fix the united states healthcare system has a lot of problems i just don't think creating a new bureaucracy to run it is a good idea or creating a a government entity that is now responsible for giving everyone the same kind of medical insurance and somehow interfacing with the private market which again i mean just imagine it I just don't think that's a better solution. I, I will. I, Matt is uh, just passed out, so uh, yeah. <laughs> I think he's passed out. So, and we've been going for a while. So, yeah. can I ask one? Can I ask Aaron one final thing on yeah, a different subject? Let's, let's let Aaron say all well, of the we things want, he wants we want, to. I want Aaron we'll out, out on this. Uh, El Salvador, one last time. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Yeah. Why do you hate nuns? Um, <laughs> that's a deep cut for people who remember. Um, uh, let me ask you one a question. I talked about this in the previous episode of talking to Bernie Sanders support about this kind of divide of like the Twitter kind of bubble left and the kind of Bernie Sanders left that is everywhere else in, in the world. And every, I mean, everywhere else in America, like what do you think about this kind of divide between wokeness and kind of class politics? It seems to be mm. like a bridge, like it seems to be separating a lot is that I know a lot of people on the left that are like hardcore lefties that just cannot stand this like overwhelming kind of identity politics that's, that's taken over what they see. And I can name people by name who have said, this is, this is just like not the future for, for democratic politics or left-wing politics, I should say. Yeah. I'm in the camp of people who are really uncomfortable with identity politics to the extent that it's used as a tool to ignore class politics Um, together, identity politics and class politics. I love them both because they're both raising important issues and they're actually to me inseparable, but there are cynical people inside the democratic party. And I would not count Bernie Sanders in this wing at all. I wouldn't either. Yeah. Who are trying to deploy identity politics for the sole purpose of getting Democrats like Bernie Sanders to stop talking about class politics. And I, I think that's, that's very cynical. And I, th- I don't think it's working. And look, the name, person, well, hold on, the, name names. A well, like the, the, camp, the campaign that has tried this, I think most forcefully, surprisingly, given her own record, is Elizabeth Warren. Yes. Yes. You know, and she actually has a really impressive record, I think, when it comes to fighting for working people. And I think for whatever reason, she's taken the advice of consultants who have told her to 
go another route and constantly try to appeal to people through identity. And I just don't think it's working. And it, it's especially sad given that she's someone who's so strong on class. And I think she's accepting this false dichotomy. So I think it's really unfortunate. I think it's terrible for the left. And to the extent that it's a dominant trend, it's going to result in failure after failure because it just doesn't fly beyond like Twitter and college campuses. That's yeah. the most generous appraisal of Elizabeth Warren I've ever heard from anyone who is a Bernie Sanders <laughs> but, but, but we for, the, for the most part, they fucking hate her. I mean, like really hate her. But but here, here's the thing is that I think that the, the great um, benefit of having our uh, two and a half hour long segment. Ask a lefty uh, is that is that talk talk at him actually. Uh, yeah, talk at the lefty. Well, you on you on healthcare, and he just sits there like t- like texting people, like, like literally. Don't blame him. Texting his Not friend in Managua, like get me out of here. And next next time we invite you, that's actually how the invite will work. Will you will you come in so I could talk at? Yeah. Him? No, but like that's you. like I, I think that's a really revealing kind of thing, and like yeah. I think that's the kind of combination of the. The, the kind of union hall guy and somebody who lives in New York City, whatever, is that that, it, to use the phrase that is so popular amongst people on the left, is the intersectionality that should be happening, one would presume, is that class politics and a certain strand, I think, like, I think it's wildly overdone in the way that, like, I think people like Bill Maher, you have Bill Maher shirt on, I have this sweater here, um, who is like a Bernie supporter. Uh, is somebody who is foaming at the mouth all the time about identity politics. And particularly when you get a great endorsement, if you're Bernie Sanders from Joe Rogan, and then all the blue check marks saying you have to disavow this because he's had people on the the show that I disagree with. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's insane. And that's I I think it's such a small minority of people, but they have a huge they they have an outsized voice because they're prominent on Twitter and they have endowed chair, chairs at universities. And that's mm. really where that comes from. Look, there there was an example recently in the Nation magazine. I don't know if you saw it, but there was an article about how it was like called something like Elizabeth Warren is the yeah. first intersectional it's candidate, like, yeah. which is so weird because Shirley Chisholm actually is the one who really pioneered intersectionality. But also, like the the there was a tagline about how you know, yes, yeah, sure, Bernie Sanders supports Medicare for all, but he won't solve sexism. <laughs> yeah. It's positing oh. as if those two things are mutually exclusive, and that because Medicare for all won't won't solve sexism, that he's not worth supporting. It's it's insane, but I just don't think people buy that. But the crazy honest. thing about like how kind of small and how how, how sl- they, they slice it so thin. Of identity politics is I also saw criticism of that piece of like, you know, it's a white woman. Yes. Uh, yeah. like, <laughs> a white so academic. Yeah, a white yeah. academic woman uh, from Massachusetts. It's like, yeah. you just can't oh, win. No. Yeah, she can't write that. Yeah, you can't write that. She can't write that. Yeah. It's I mean, just... have we not had enough white academic women from Massachusetts? <laughs> <laughs> have we? Who's the other one? Who's the one who lost to Scott Brown? Who's that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wait, so are you saying that it's not fair to her because she gets then, she gets automatically canceled because she's a white woman? So. She's not. No, I just think yeah. it's hilarious to see that, like, no matter you can make that argument. And at the same time, you kind of like give a thumbs down to Bernie Sanders. He's saying, well, he can't solve sexism as like the old kind of crusty man. Right. And then then you say, well, you know, you, you raise your hands and, and, and kind of victory. And then someone comes up from the other end and says, well, no, you can't do that because you're a white woman. It's yeah. like, oh, man, just can we just stop for like a second we've got, we've and got, like appraise these ideas on their merits or yeah, not? Yeah. So. We've got literally five days before it's Bernie versus Trump. 
Maybe you know. it won't be. You know, I don't, it's possible. I, never know. You never know. I, I mean, I, Let, I think it's, it's very. I, I still think it's very possible we get to a brokered convention. I think there's it's possible. All, it's. I think this may year, we all root more for than it. any other year, Michael Moynihan, who is skeptical of this pr- proposal, yeah. they won't get out of the race. They'll take it to the convention and they'll do it because they don't want Bernie to win. You, they look, are going. I've said that's de- wrong. The Democratic, but you might be right. <laughs> party is going to do everything Just possible to take the nomination from him. I, In fact, I, yeah, Aaron. Hold on. Do I was using that as a precursor. I was, <laughs> I was throat clearing to make okay, a sorry. small point. That question is then ask him. Table ahead. it because it's important. Oh my yeah, God. Foster no. Brooks over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, just that if Elizabeth Warren bounces out in five days, the takes are going to be incredible be so about the sexism inherent in the system. The takes they are there are, already. They already exist. They, they already exist. Already. She led in the polls two months ago. No the one, same no polls that. that people yes. are talking about right now. The same, she, the same party had a woman as its candidate four years ago. Um, and it reminds me of, of a thing that I'd forgotten about, but I'd remembered on the subway over because I was I either drunk or not drunk enough uh, at the moment. But just like right before the 2012 election, there was a raft of stories. I think I've made uh, written about at least some of them um, like pre uh, rights about how if Obama loses that will prove that America is racist. super racist. Yeah. 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 Um, it's amazing. It'll happen regardless of if or when five days, 13 days, it's going to happen with Elizabeth Warren. It's going to be ridiculous. Ask Aaron your question. I'm sorry to interrupt. Aaron, do you think the DNC is going to steal the election to steal the nomination from Bernie Sanders? I'm not in that camp because I just, I don't see how they can do it, but there the are brokered convention. You don't think they could do it, but if he, if he's in a position where it's just impossible, I, you know, um, if, if he doesn't have enough delegates, then yeah. Well, if I had to bet, would I bet on them stealing from him? Yes, I would. But yeah. I also, you know, I, I'm just, there's already a lot of fatalism around that in my circle and crowd. And I just don't want to feed into it because I don't know what's going to happen. And the president but of the United Bernie, States but, is hoping to feel that too. By the way, oh, Bernie, uh, has the same argument as Aaron. He was asked a similar question after the debate last night. I think, what was it? CBS that hosted the debate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I watched the stream. Uh, Hosted uh, is a strong word. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> made a fucking hash out of, um, and he, they asked him a question. Do you think the DNC is like, and he's like, Oh, it's different now. I don't think so. And he was like, yeah. he didn't think, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Hedging. So, he's hedging. Yeah. Yeah. He was, well, so he's, here's, nah, so here's nah, another, nah, nah. so here's another related. He's question. running a less outsider campaign. But here's, he a, here's another related question. Keep it brief. If in fact, Bernie, wins the way he's been winning, which is to say that establishment candidates, if there was only one of them, they might, in fact, they would have enough votes to beat Bernie. Mm -hmm. If that makes it to a brokered convention, if we get there in that way, where it's obvious there's like two or three establishment candidates and between themselves, they would totally have the votes to get over on Bernie. At that point, could you see there being someone else who gets the nomination who isn't Bernie and not see it as some sort of egregious crime. Oh, for, for me personally, no. Okay. That's an egregious <laughs> crime. No, of course not. No, no, because, yeah. because that assumes that assumes that whoever voted for. Sure. Wouldn't have voted for Bernie. Exactly. Which I, I, I'm just not going to concede that because there's even polls showing that he's many people's second choice. Well, this is, this right. is, look, Joe Biden is certainly no one's second choice. Or yeah. I think this yeah. is very important. <laughs> first, yeah. very, yeah. Diminishing, yeah. diminishing ah. the number of people think he's their first He's not choice. even Jill Biden's first um, choice. We should, we should probably, <laughs> we should probably get out of here. Let's get out of here. This may be the thing <laughs> that finally gets us canceled, but it feels, 
It feels like the right thing to do because oh God, please no. Can I go? Fucking, yeah. <laughs> cowardice asks the questions. No, but we can punch out after this. So you can't go. You have to stay here and, and watch me oh self immolate. Um, Harvey want Harvey Weinstein. No, don't. don't. Harvey Weinstein. Honestly, don't. Harvey Weinstein. No, I have to. That, it's a, this is it. Thirteen this is o'clock easy. now. Harvey Weinstein convicted. Harvey Weinstein is almost certainly a sexual predator. There's every reason to believe that he has a history of oh, using God. his position of power this to butt. do really bad uh, shit. It's going to be the yeah. worst butt. <laughs> two, two. Don't yeah. do it. He's yeah. been convicted yeah. of egregious crimes in a court in New York City. Yeah. I don't know. And having <laughs> observed some of the things associated with this case, I have to say oh, no. something publicly, oh, no. which perhaps will earn me no fans and maybe will get me destroyed for life. Um, I'm somewhat uncomfortable with oh, the no. way these rulings were reached, at least a little bit. Um, and I think it's necessarily the case that whatever standard of evidence the courts required for sex crimes has necessarily been degraded as a result of these rulings. And some people will see that as an objectively good thing. To these, be were improved, certainly, improved, these were changed. certainly... These were certainly complicated cases to try because they were very old. In many cases, women who were testifying these cases were testifying after the statute of limitations had expired. Um, and perhaps we should do something about that. And the statute of limitations on violent sexual assault should be non-existent or should be extended in some way so that we can prosecute those cases. But in effect, there is a broad acknowledgement that these are cases that were tried and that the evidence, the evidentiary standard here is not like, well, there is corroborating witness testimony from someone else who knows that this bad thing happened to you. It's a circumstance where a guy is getting in trouble and is being accused and prosecuted and then convicted on the basis of what pe whether or not people feel like they can trust the witness's testimony more than they can trust his testimony. In a case where, at a minimum, there is some complicating evidence that suggests that the relationship that he had with these women might have been consensual or that it was consensual at different points. And I acknowledge that sex crimes are complicated and difficult and challenging, but at a minimum, it seems worth acknowledging that the new world that we're entering into, one that empowers not only victims, but accusers, broadly speaking, to the disadvantage of the accused is like, it's a new world. Like, and it matters. And it matters when the, a, a court system that is supposed to be about burdens of proof and innocent until proven guilty, like is a little less so that now. And we should enter into that new world with eyes wide open and no one is obliged. To say I, I, no, I just want to say that, um, if you didn't know at the beginning, like recognizing voices, he was talking about that with, um, <laughs> with uh, audiobook, is that um, that is Camille Foster. We, we, no, no, um, monster. We have uh, a, a link up, and uh, we do actually have Bill Cosby on the podcast this week <laughs> as one of our other hosts. And so I just want to point out that that was not me. Oh, I'm Michael Moynihan. The person on my left is uh, Bill Cosby, who apparently is tweeting from prison and now doing podcasts from prison yeah. so, can i say quickly right. i think the critique you just made if you were to apply that to that shitty media men list mm. i'd be with it because you know I, I i know people who were personally destroyed by that and they didn't do anything and, and it was no courts was, involved there and that was yeah. true but 
with the Weinstein thing, you have a preponderance of accusers. You have a lot of similar stories. Look, I didn't follow the trial at all, trial at all but I, I personally can't accept your critique there when it comes to that specific case. But you didn't follow the trial. I didn't follow the trial. It's true. So you can't reject my critique. Well, you can. But you had to yeah, I'm going to just reject it because I just <laughs> yeah. want to. It's cool. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's worth noting that women were testifying there who couldn't have their cases prosecuted because the statute of limitation had run out. I got that. And they used that testimony that essentially was supposed to be disregarded mm. by the jury because it could not be used to prosecute the man. So can I just add? I'm just saying. So you're, saying, minimum, you're saying this is a legal a complicated, This is a this is a law school yeah. discussion. It's a complicated. It, it is. It's I'm, a all I'm saying discussion. is it's a complicated case, and as we're saying, our huzzas. Look, the guy was faking an ailment with a fucking walker. He looks like a gross monster. Again, he I presume he is bad. He obviously used his position of power bad. Bad. to he take is. advantage he's, of women. In, he's, he's a monster. Bad. He's bad. Yeah. But it's worth noting that like legal precedents matter and like – it's about making the arguments at the margins and it's about like these, these tough cases. And in that particular universe, I say again, that there are things about this particular case that at least make me a little bit uncomfortable and make me wonder about the future. I get that you're and taking the I'm worst saying. example. You're taking the worst example of course. and trying to parse out the uh, legal standards that could be used to hurt um, other people who are not deserving of the faith that Harvey Weinstein is deserving of given his documented history. So I get that. Yeah. All I'm, all yeah. I said is a little uncomfortable. I didn't say I'm going to be losing a minute second nanosecond of sleep because Harvey Weinstein is going to jail where, I, where he belongs. I, I will not be. Yeah. Um, it, it is a, a matter of legal precedence and what it means for the legal system, broadly speaking. And I think that is always worth, you know, at least putting it out there, but maybe I'm canceled. If so, well, yeah, I no, hope no. you visit him in jail and uh, tell him this because <laughs> I'm I, not going to. I won't be. Yeah. I won't be. All right. I'm a monster. Bye. You are a monster. Bye. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. <laughs>